Okay, folks, this is episode numero seven, coming to you, Mountains to Bayou's podcast. We are joined by special guest, Jason Bakedel from Pulley Whistle Provisions, um, from the goose hunting, waterfowl hunting scene of the Northeast. Um, here also with my co-host Seth B. Secker. What's up, Seth? Say hello. You, you got You got to say coming to you semi live. You always say that <laughs> coming to you <laughs> semi live from the pit. <laughs> yeah, from the, from the pit. Yeah, we're coming from the pit, aka Jason's basement, aka sick man cave. Um, fresh off of, I would probably say the best wild game meal that I have personally eaten. I probably could even eat like leave wild game out of yeah, it. Maybe probably one of the best meals I've eaten, period. Did not contain one single vegetable. <laughs> we had plenty plenty of meat. <laughs> plenty of meat. Um Jason, why don't you I mean obviously we we just met today. Um Correct. a mutual friend of ours, Mike Hobbs that I met a few weeks ago, you know, I guess you have cooked with him in the past, known him from the Gearhouse Brewing Company. Yeah, real nice guy. Um, I basically stalked you on Instagram. <laughs> I thought something felt weird one day. <laughs> I wasn't quite sure what was going on. Uh, I basically stalked you on Instagram um, once I heard about you and just kind of everything that you're doing and, you know the food that you're cooking and the company that you're starting. And I mean, just looking at some of your pictures, I just kind of want to talk to you because I'm a super rookie at the wild game cooking stuff, but I'm getting more into it and I'm trying to learn from, you know, the best. And, uh, I'm still doing the same. I I don't think after tonight that there's really a contender that I know. No, right now, Jason's (laughs) leading Franklin County (laughs) so far. (laughs) Yeah, that's a real honor. So far, leading. <laughs> yeah, at least Franklin County, okay? We'll say the tri-state area. Yeah. Once I can get over to Fulton County, then I've gotten somewhere. Right, yeah. right. Well, yeah, baby steps. Yeah, there's some super right. chefs over there. That's right. Yeah. Um. Anyway, man, we just kind of want to sit down with you tonight, pick your brain a little bit about a pile of stuff. But um, sure. why don't we start with, you know, I know we were talking earlier from Maryland. Mm-hmm. You live in Chambersburg now, but you're from Boonesboro? Correct. And um, live in Chambersburg now, I mean, you said your you, you know your work brought you up here, obviously, right? Yes. Um, so, pretty deep hunting heritage, Maryland, Hagerstown, Chambersburg, that whole corridor. I mean, who got you into, I guess, who got you into hunting? You know, who took you out and who got you... Like a lot of people, my my dad, I mean, he grew up doing the same thing on our family farm. Uh, he would also hunt somewhere up around Breezewood. He knew a guy that had a camp. He and my grandfather would go up there and hunt together. Uh, but most of the hunting was done on our family farm, and it was all small game and deer. Yeah. And that's that's what I grew up hunting from the moment I could shoot a gun. I started with a BB gun shooting butterflies off of thistle bushes. <laughs> and uh, every now and then I'd get lucky and shoot a dove out of a locust tree behind the house. Yeah. And that was that was the best thing, you know. And then rabbits came along, and then finally deer. And 
grew up hunting deer. That's, you were what, that's like what I knew. Teenager when you started hunting deer, probably. I uh, shot my first deer when I was nine. Really? Yeah. Didn't 30, waste any 30, time. 30. <laughs> nope. Still have a picture of it. It's, it's that's neat. cool. Yeah, I was a chubby little kid. Do you still have and the thirty thirty? That's a funny picture. Uh, my grandmother has it. It's her thirty thirty. Really? Awesome. Yep. She used to hunt. Um, my grandfather would shoot deer right, right out of the front of the house. Some of the biggest deer he shot, he shot out of the house. He'd be sitting there smoking, doing a puzzle. <laughs> a buck would walk in front of the house, and he'd just whack it, you know. So it was, it was pretty cool. And they, they have the deer mounted in their living room. Um, just a small little farmhouse they have. And, uh, used to have cattle and everything, so we had to watch out for the cows. So it was brought up a lot on safety, too, because of other people and yeah. cattle and livestock, other livestock, things like that. What, um, okay, so, you know, obviously we're sitting in your basement, and I'm looking at, you know, 10 to 12 duck decoys. <laughs> I mean, obviously, waterfowl is your, your M.O. Yeah. You know, when did that just, start? I guess it was about 2003, so it's only been, well, I guess it's been 16 years. Yeah, <laughs> only. It's 2003 yeah. doesn't sound like last year. <laughs> so it's funny, uh, a neighbor of mine down the street uh, I was a wildlife biologist for Letter County Army Depot, and uh, he knew I liked to deer hunt because I had I worked on cars then, so I'd have an engine crane and I have a deer hanging from it, and I'd be up here in the garage cleaning it. And uh, he asked if I wanted to go waterfowl hunting one day. I said I've never gone, but I'd love to go. Uh, shot a goose and a merganser, which isn't anything special. And I thought, where's this been my whole life? That was the greatest yeah. day of my life that I had had. So I went head over heels into it, and uh, you know, there's. A saying, you know, you teach, give a man a duck, he can eat for a day, and you teach him to duck hunt, he'll go broke and starve. <laughs> and that's very correct. Cause, yeah. You know, waterfowl hunting is extremely gear intensive and cost uh, prohibitive. Extremely. Yeah. But I never let that stop me. I found a way to do it, found a way to find ducks, found a way to find geese, because I like to eat everything I shoot, and they're delicious. So why not shoot more and eat them? Yeah. I would say. Your duck hunting experience was today probably the same thing. Yeah, pretty much. I never really duck hunted at all. Same deal. I grew up deer hunting, turkey hunting, small game hunting. But then Clay took me out on my first duck hunt, maybe two years ago. That's it? probably two years ago. Yeah, that's the first time. And we got lucky. And Clayton called some ducks in. And I was more adrenaline pumped in like those... I mean, set ninety seconds probably. Realistically, it's like the I remember like it was yesterday. Yeah, the, we're sitting like right on Spring Creek, and two mallards come just zipping by. I didn't hear it because you, you don't have the ear for it. Clay's yeah. like, "Did you hear that?" I'm like, "No, what?" I hear them coming from. Oh yeah, yeah. You just hear that wind coming out from under their wings. Yeah, yeah. and then just <laughs> just a few times, feeder chuckle. Complete horseshoe right in our face. Right down to the locked in the decoys <laughs> and they cupped up and Clay's like, There you go and I was like yeah, you know That's as good as it gets. Yeah, and I was like, Oh dude, I could get into this. Where's this been? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't know about you guys, but I remember when I used to hunt deer, I'd shoot a deer and I'd be shaking after I shot that deer. That doesn't happen with ducks, but if we're hunting geese and we get a flock of geese to finish and we shoot, when after we shoot, I'm shaking. Really, the day that yeah. goes away is the day I'd have to be done because yeah, I'm exactly. still excited about it. Yeah, and that's I love that. Yeah, that's what it's all about for me, and I know Clayton feels the same way. The the feel like the adrenaline, the feeling that you get. Yeah, if you're not getting that out of it, like obviously you talk about you like to eat it, 
and Steve Ranella talks about this, and we talked about this on previous podcasts, but it's like, it's both, though, because you love to eat it, but it's also fun to do, and you, like, get this feeling out of it. Like, if it was just food, you probably wouldn't do it. You would just go to the store and buy a burger Which like everybody else. Boring. Right. What, what fun? You're not going to get cold at the grocery store. Right. That's yeah. boring. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. But just the feeling you get out, plus the the meals that provides for your family and all that stuff like the whole deal is exactly just, yeah it's a complete social event that's that's the best thing about it. we wouldn't be here tonight if it weren't for that wild game exactly yeah correct i think that's a cool part about waterfowl like i've never been on a really big waterfowl clayton and i'll go a couple of times a year just locally i've only ever shot two ducks i think in my life that's the only waterfowl i've ever killed so i've never been to like a duck but from what I understand is, like, sitting in a goose blind or a duck blind, like, there's a lot of camaraderie going on. You can talk and you build the relationships. So, I mean... I'd say that's the word that gets thrown around the most with waterfowl hunters is camaraderie. camaraderie. Yeah. I mean, how do you feel? Like, is... Yeah, between you and your friends and the guys in the blind, but amongst other waterfowl hunters, it's more of a competition, which is unfortunate. Yeah, there's, there's a lot of there's guys. That absolutely, they, the only reason they do it is to—they may not admit it—but trying to be competitive and turn it into something that it really doesn't need to be. But that is the absolute best part about it: is the friendships that are created amongst everybody that's hunting together. It's—you it, can't be. There, there's no other way to, yeah, to yeah. make those kind of friendships that last that long with without being in those rough conditions that make you work together. Right, and that, that's what does it. Yeah. Yeah, and I remember, like, one of my first duck hunts ever uh, was down in Louisiana, and I know, like, it was on a higher-end lease. You know, the one guy I was hunting with was pretty wealthy, and he had this nice lease, and we, you know, hunted till 8 o'clock or so, and he calls up some guy. Guy comes driving out in some brand-new side-by-side and gives us mcdonald's biscuits and he's bringing you know breakfast to the blind so we can keep hunting and i'm like my whole life i've been taught to sit still don't make a sound (laughs) don't smell don't breathe don't smell next thing you know this dude's rolling out in a thousand cc buggy with mcdonald's biscuits so we can keep hunting and i was just like man this is awesome this is just like hanging out with your buddies and then at some point, you get to shoot something and right. eat it. If, if you're lucky. <laughs> I mean, we, we cook. We have propane-fired ovens and stoves. We make cinnamon cinnamon buns in the oven, in the blind. In the blind? We, yeah. We, my buddy made pheasant rival soup from our pheasants <laughs> in South Dakota. We hooked, we heated that up in the boat when we were hunting in New York. We were shooting canvasbacks and eating pheasant soup. <laughs> you know, we made sausage, egg, and cheese sandwiches. I mean, it's just so it's fantastic. Awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. That's what it's all about. I mean, Clayton and I feel the same way when it comes to that. Like, just the relationships you build. Like, everything else is just a bonus in, in my mind. And you're right. So, I think you feel also the same way we do about that. And just some people, though, it just it goes too far. Like, a big deer, we talk about this same way with a good waterfowl spot, I'm sure, makes people do really crazy, stupid things, oh, yeah. become greedy. Yep. And it's like... Man, if if you got to go out there to kill something, you're kind of missing the whole point of what you're doing anyway, right? Right. So, but I I, I think some guys like, and you can probably test this. You've waterfowl hunted way more than me. Is there's a group of guys that probably goes out to waterfowl hunt that's more worried about the picture at the end of it and did we kill more than anybody else there? Absolutely. And like, you know, 
I mean, I've hunted the water, I've hunted the duck opener in Louisiana and Arkansas where the boat ramp looks like a NASCAR race at the beginning of yeah. the day, you know? People are just firing up their engines and just waiting, waiting to go and it's just like, it does, it, it does not need to be like this. Yeah, and I think social media has a lot to do with that. Um, people know more about what other people are doing rather than... Absolutely. Um, a guy I met out in Kansas, um, his name's Zach, and he runs a guide business out there. He would always say, watch your own bobber. Mind your own business. Yeah. Just do your own thing. Your success is what you make it. And yeah. that always stuck with me. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm happy when we get a bunch of ducks, and I'm happy when we get back safe. So either one's fine with me. Yeah, yeah. that's awesome. That's a good saying. I like that. Man, I can, I can kind of, like, tell that about you, that... I mean, we obviously just met today. We've been messaging back and forth, a couple phone calls, but like... I was being stalked. <laughs> Other than me stalking you. <laughs> Standing outside your house. You know? um, it's just like, hey, this is what I'm doing. You know, I'm rooting for everybody else at the same time, but this is what I'm doing. I like it. And, 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 and this is how I'm going to keep operating. I, you don't seem to me... And it's so common now, the one-upper, you know, everybody's met this guy. It's like, I tell a hunting story, this guy wants to tell a better hunting story, you know. I always worry about that because <laughs> my personality, I get excited when someone tells me a story that I can relate to. And I'm, I'm listening, but I'm also like, oh man, I got to experience that too. But then I'm like, wait a minute, I don't want to make it seem like I'm trying to one-up this. So right. I'm just going to keep my story to myself for now. And other times I can't help it, it just goes blah, falling out and... I don't ever want to come across that way. Yeah. There there are those people out That's there. That's so common. Yeah. And it's, yeah, it's just one of those things that it's just, there's there's still a lot of wilderness out there for everybody to enjoy. Yep. So just exactly. take it easy. Yep. Yeah, what, when do you think that the waterfowl hunt, hunting got so big up in our area? Cause we, were, we were talking a little bit earlier, earlier, you're like, you had these farms used to hunt. And then all of a sudden you go there and people are releasing it. And yeah. so like, when did that all happen? Was it the Duck Dynasty thing that really turned people onto it? or I don't know if it's that so much. Or, uh, I think it has to do a lot. In my, it's just a personal opinion with social media. People saw pictures of people shooting lots of geese in this area. Uh, traditionally, they would ban a lot of geese in this area. Uh, uh, so then they published those they publish when they do that. So people, even, not even from this area, will travel here to try to shoot abandoned goose. So that doesn't help either. Now you have a lot of people from out of town coming in also. Okay. Um, and it just got to be a hassle. I mean, there wasn't anything wrong with it. It's a free country. People can hunt wherever they want. Right. I'm not going to get into a tussle over a field with somebody. If you're there before me, I'll go home and go back to bed. Right. You know, it's really not that big a deal. I don't need to shoot a goose that bad. Yeah. Um, what's, what's the allure with the banded birds? Um, I, I don't know. <laughs> um, it's, it's, it's neat that you get to shoot one and we've been successful doing so, but we've never tried to do so, if that makes sense. There are people that, that target these birds to just to try to get a band to put on their lanyard. And I think it's a status thing. Okay. But it really doesn't mean anything really i can tell i've always wondered about it because i'm not a waterfowl guy whatsoever and i've always wondered what the yeah to me it's special to shoot a banded bird 
abandoned migratory bird. Because you can see where it came from. Yeah. We, we shot a pintail in January down on the Chesapeake Bay. It was banded. It was a hen. It was in a group of drakes we were shooting at, and we dropped a hen. Didn't mean to, but she was banded. She was banded in September, just 2018, in northern North Dakota. Really? Holy smokes. You never would have guessed that that bird would have ended up on the Chesapeake Bay just a couple months later. Wow, that's Normally crazy. Normally they would stay in their flyway. Somehow she got over here, and that, that's something really special. Okay, I can see that. Yeah. yeah. Uh, my first snow goose I shot was banded. Really? So none of it Canada. The sucker was 20 years old. That's cool. Isn't but, that crazy? Because you can, you know. Okay, so that makes sense to me. Right. Like, that's, it's yeah, over there on the wall. On the 20 other, years other, old? Yep. That's a, that sounds, so think about how many times that goose had flew over somebody's set. Back and forth. Yeah, or uh, yeah. escaped a fox. or was not the one that got shot when it landed. That's an, no, Okay, so I get it now. I've always wondered, like, yeah. what's the point of them? But that to, makes to, sense. To, to actually seek them out and try to shoot them. Or yeah, that doesn't make try sense. try to illegally get them when you see one with a neck collar or a band on it is just insane. It's just insane. Yeah, that doesn't make any sense to me. Like, why you would do it illegal or, like, right. seek them out. Right. Like, I don't get that part yeah. of it. Yeah. But the, to see where... The, that's pretty neat to see where they came from or whatever. That's yep. a cool story to, like, sort of completes the circle a little bit. Well, I mean, I can tell you, like, when we pulled in today and I looked in your truck and I saw your lanyard hanging from your mirror and I saw those bands. I, said, I told Seth, I guess, this guy knows what he's doing. Well, <laughs> I'll tell you a story about that, that collar. None of those bands are real bands. Um, well, or, that whole thing goes out the window. <laughs> that, uh, this has been a fraud. <laughs> that was my first hunting lab's collar. And all of the hunt test ribbons and stuff that he got that had bands from the hunting club that held the test, I put them on his collar. And then when he passed away, I put his collar on my oh, that's um, cool. rear view mirror. Gotcha. And we hunted a field um, right off 81. It, at near state line and I go by it every morning and that's where his last hunt was so it's cool to have his collar in the truck and then I go by that field every day so yeah. that's pretty neat that that's is cool. neat yeah so none of those none of those are real bands so <laughs> I don't know what I'm doing <laughs> I don't even know why we're here so. <laughs> fooled somebody else yes no man I just I think it's so cool I uh, you know I just I, like I told you earlier I grew up Pennsylvania Never was taking duck hunt. Never was taking waterfowl hunting. And then when I moved to Louisiana, it's like if you don't duck hunt, you're weird. <laughs> yeah, you know. Yep. And that first hunt, I was just like, wow. They say Louisiana is a sportsman's paradise. I, I've never been. I'd like to go someday. But it is. Uh, it's pretty incredible. You know, the couple you can go out and go down to the marsh in Venice, take your boat out, shoot a limited ducks, and then cruise. You know, a mile half a mile and just stroke redfish oh, till man. the end of the day that'd be you know? fantastic it's incredible um well not much of a transition here but tell me about uh pulley whistle provisions um was always just a backyard cook and friends are always pushing me to oh you ought to go you ought to try to make money you know cooking or do these festivals or cater weddings and stuff like that so Finally took their proddings and did something with it and just started a mobile food vending service, basically, doing festivals and special meals, uh, probably weddings here here and there, maybe a, a summer party, 
Um, just bought a food trailer so we can be completely mobile and then have to load and unload all the time. I can cook everything in the trailer. Uh, so it's basically kind of just like upscale backyard barbecue and some other funky stuff thrown in. Yeah. Whenever it's requested. I mean, it's, we really don't have, we have to have a menu by law to get an inspection, but we'll make really? whatever. Yeah, you have to, to provide a menu and then you can only change it like 25% before you have to re-inspect it again. So it's kind of weird. It's a Pennsylvania hmm. thing. I don't know if other states are like that or not, but we'll have a set menu and then we can adjust it up to that 24.99% before we got to get... Uh, reinspected. So if you have so. ten items, you can only change two items before you get reinspected. Yeah. Wow. Well, let me back up. Like, how yep. did you? I mean, how did you learn to do all the shit that you <laughs> did tonight? Um, <laughs> my grandmother taught me how to cook. Uh, I spent a lot of time with her on the farm, and my mom did too. Um, she was a single mom, and she would work so she'd come home and and cook and i'd be there too so i just watch or she'd let me help out uh when i get a little bit older she'd be working and i'd try to cook dinner so she had something to eat when she came home and then like i said when i was with my grandmother she was always making stuff she cooked deer for us all the time she's hungarian so she'd make us these hungarian pancakes called palachinta that are just it's kind of like a crepe but ten thousand times better um, you can stuff them with all kinds of stuff, cottage cheese, syrup, honey, uh, brown sugar and cinnamon, all kinds of crazy stuff. They're, they're really good. And, uh, I guess I just picked it all up from there. And then, you know, I had, had, I don't know how many iterations of a smoker. Everybody has the little refrigerator style smoker and then you get the offset style. Then I got to turn on the pellet smokers and, uh, I guess about seven years ago, maybe. Mm-hmm. And six or seven years ago, and never looked back. They're 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 awesome. Um, I went over to Bunting's fireplace shop here in Chambersburg, and uh, met up with Ron Bunting to get look at getting a pellet stove for the house, like to heat the house with. Mm-hmm. And wound up getting a pellet stove to cook food on. So that's kind of where it all started. That's awesome. Yeah, and then just kind of started pulley whistle. Um, it's kind of a play on a word. My cousin was trying to say Pussy Willow because he wanted to name a chicken that because it was white and my grandmother grew Pussy Willow trees. And uh, all he could say was Pulley Whistle. Uh, so I just ran with that and uh, decided to throw some homage to my grandparents. That's going to be big, man. I know around here, I know the food truck thing is like, I don't know if it's always been around, but like it seems like the past four or five years, the food truck thing has just exploded. It's really growing. It yeah. really is. Yeah, I think your timing on that couldn't be better, really. Because there's, I mean, five years ago, nobody knew about a food truck around here, I would say. Yeah. Not around here. I mean, they no. had them in, yeah, it seemed like, in the big cities. Right, but exactly. Yep. Yeah. There's a couple good ones around here now. And, man, yeah, I mean, yours is going to be right up there. That. Well, thank you. Yeah. Uh, unfortunately, I can't cook wild game and, and sell it <laughs> on that. But it's fun to cook here at home and use some of the recipes that I do on the other meats that I can share with everyone else yeah for like us just hanging out eating pheasant yeah well why don't we talk about tonight what we 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 had tonight yeah 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 Yeah. give us the rundown set i mean i don't know where to start so when we walked in start at the start at the beginning we had this sea duck sea duck snack sticks snack sticks about those dude yeah um Traditionally, we, we go to Maine every year. Uh, we also used to hunt sea ducks on Chesapeake Bay. We don't do that much anymore. We just get them all in Maine um, and make them into bratwurst and bologna and stuff like that. So what kind of ducks were those? 
uh, Eider, Old Squall, and Scoter. A couple different kinds of Scoter there. White Wing Scoter, Common Scoter, and Surf Scoters in there. Uh, along with Common Eider and the Old Squall. Also called Long Tail Duck. Um, and I was just looking for something to do different with them. I had made snack sticks out of deer before. So sea ducks are pretty strong because they eat clams and mussels and stuff. So they taste pretty crappy. Um, so I just mixed it with some other goose meat that I had. Uh, local goose meat. And then uh, a little bit of pork fat and seasoning. Stuffed it, smoked it, cut them up, and enjoy. They were fantastic. Yeah. Anybody who ends up listening to this, you could eat 10 pounds of those things <laughs> and not even check up. Especially after they had a little bit of spikes, you said, from some chipotle. Uh, the snack sticks had dehydrated jalapenos in them from our garden. We we grow a bunch every year and dehydrate them, pulverize them, and put them in a jar. And then we use them to season stuff all year long. Oh, goodness, they were good. Now we went from that to smoked deviled eggs. Is that right? Yeah. Um, threw some eggs on the smoker. Love and, it. A uh, little bit of seasoning in the mix. Piece of bacon on top. A little bit of dried cilantro, and uh, I think we pretty much ate most of them. <laughs> we would have eaten them all if you, if you would have left them out. Yeah. So I think Clayton, I didn't think you were ever going to stop one of them. Every time I turned around, I stopped because I was embarrassed how many I was wolfing down. I was like, man, he might need these for something else. <laughs> They're like shots of whiskey going down. Yeah, yeah, man, so, were they good? So we start out with that, and then you got out some. Um, Shaved goose breast, I think. Yep. Or you sliced it down, I should say. So, how did you prepare it? Canada. The... Yeah. Right? Yeah, just resident Canada geese we had shot. Uh, Season that down. Where? No. <laughs> <laughs> no, exactly. Have where. To kill you. Yeah. <laughs> um, oh, yeah, we rubbed them down with seasoning, uh, threw them on the smoker with some oak, oak pellets, and left them on there till they were medium rare. Chilled them, sliced them thin, made a dipping sauce with some uh, sriracha, mayonnaise, a little bit of garlic juice, and some other spices to dip that in. Ate it cold. It's garlic really juice. good cold. Yeah, so you get those jars of minced garlic you see yeah. in the grocery store. But if you put the actual garlic in that dip, it's real strong, and your wife will make you sleep on the couch. So you just... No comment, right? Take a take a spoon <laughs> and ladle a little bit of the juice out and put in there. You still get the flavor, and then you get a little bit of that vinegary flavor too, but you don't get those uh, real strong pieces of garlic when you're trying to eat that. That's you a know. great idea. Because yeah. you eat garlic, and you get a piece, it's actually spicy. Like if you ever right, oh yeah, garlic, oh yeah, it'll burn your tongue. Yeah. So it's nice and nice mellow flavor. That yeah. was fantastic. Well, we, we had talked about that, and, and for whatever reason. I mean, wild game in general, for some people, just has a bad rap. But goose is one of those things where you talk to people like, ah, oh, I would never eat a goose, man. Those greasy, whatever. Especially Canada's, they get a bad rap. Yeah, they got a bad, and so uh, Jason got this out, and, had, and I'm like, this is just as good as anything I've ever put in my mouth, really. I mean, it's fantastic, you I thought. You could fool people and tell them that was sliced beef. Absolutely, and there's yeah. a lot of stuff you can do that with goose. I mean, we'll grind it up and make it into burger and make chili, we'll make spaghetti. We'll chunk it up, wrap it in bacon, marinate it, and then put it on a skewer, unfortunately with vegetables, uh, <laughs> yeah. tomatoes and peppers. If you have to. And throw it on the smoker on high and grill it, and it's just like goose kebabs. And you'd swear that it was beef tenderloin there until you get a piece of shot, then you know. Right. <laughs> you know something's <laughs> like, oh, wait a minute. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah. So, there's a lot you can do. Yeah. So, well, I mean, I think that's a good point. Um, we were talking about you c- cooked it medium rare. Yep. Like, that's, to me, just in my amateur opinion, the most important thing about cooking wild game is you cannot overcook it. Like, you cannot cook something to well done right. or medium well. Like, I don't know what your opinion on temperatures in general. I mean, you got to be careful what you're cooking, obviously, but... Yeah, like, um, wild game, not so much as uh, domestic animals because they aren't subjected to a lot of the same bacterias, so it's actually safer to cook wild game to a lower temperature than it is domesticated animals. That makes sense. Um, yeah. Pretty much... Now, pheasants, I'll still cook to 145. Well, I will cook to 145, um, which is a little lower than, than chicken. Right, yeah. But it's it's a pheasant. It's not a chicken. Right. So, exactly. Uh, it was it was in the wild. It wasn't subjected to all of the bacteria in a uh, a raised kind of environment. Yeah. Yeah. So then um, squirrels. We yeah we did the squirrels. Dude, so we pounded some squirrels. So there. so anybody have been listening yeah, to this good. podcast previously? Clayton and I was talking about our struggle with squirrel hunting, and we won't. Rehash yeah. that right now, but we finally please see episode four and five. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so, Clay, I mean, go ahead and tell how you made those. I mean, I can't take any credit for the squirrel other than we shot it. Other than we killed it, we killed it. <laughs> I followed one of Ranella's recipes for. I think he calls them buffalo hot legs, also known as the thinking man's chicken wing. <laughs> right. Um, so we, um, I mean, I marinate, I guess marinate is the right word. I marinated the squirrel legs in milk, some seasoning, garlic, onion, some eggs, you know, just so there was a binder there whenever we went to, you know, put the dredge on, um, dredged them in just some, I guess it was just AP flour. Yep, AP flour. And deep fried them once, stuck them in the oven. Canola oil. Canola oil. Fried them again. And I made a sauce with uh, some crystal hot sauce, maple syrup, um, some different seasonings, and just took them out of the, you know, fried them a second time to really crisp them up and then tossed them in the sauce. And, I mean, I, I thought they were great. They were fantastic. I mean, you executed the recipe perfectly. They, they were done perfectly. They were tender. Yeah. I couldn't believe how crispy. tender they got. Yeah. Honestly. The, uh... I mean, obviously the front legs get a little stringy, but what are you supposed to do? There's not much you're going to you know, do. What is Back there? like a man and eat it. it yeah, exactly. <laughs> the flavor's there. you got to chew it a little a bit. A quarter ounce of meat right. on the on the front of a squirrel leg after yeah. you deep fried two times. Well, I think that was, it was just <laughs> something else because we talked about, like, usually, like, squirrels, everybody says, ah, squirrel pot pie, squirrel gravy, throw them in the crock pot, slow cook them, whatever. Like, just doing something different, like... Just a different way to eat the wild game is what yeah. we were going for. And, like, dude, the sauce, that sauce I thought was really good personally. The sauce was incredible. Yeah, yeah. it was very good. Yeah. And so. I think that, like, I mean, Jason, I think that's what you're great at is the wild game. You know, it's being from Chambersburg, everybody does bologna, jerky, burger, steaks. You know, it's just that's what they've done. That's what their dad did. That's what their granddad did. And I think there's, like, a... I think there's like a movement in the hunting community right now to like elevate wild game and actually make, you know, high level recipes and different stuff, think outside the box and 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 cook it a different way than just the way 
people cook have been cooking it for you know, 50 years or whatever. But yeah, then you come rolling in with buffalo squirrel legs and just <laughs> throw everything off kilter. So hey, that, hey. Was, that was fantastic. And, you know, you can take, there's so many meals or recipes out there that use domesticated meats that you can use wild game for. Um, I follow this guy and his wife on Instagram, uh, the killer cook. They had some stroganoff meatballs. Now, I've made Swedish meatballs, but I never made stroganoff meatballs, but I love beef stroganoff. We had a wild game feed to go to. I got some moose meat out of the fridge, made smoked moose stroganoff meatballs, and they were awesome. And I just came up with a recipe. Yeah. You know, and that's what you got to do. You know, if you're making bologna, you're making pot pie, you're getting bored with it, just think outside the box. Try to try to come up with something. You know, there's so much information on the internet. Grab a bunch of recipes, change it, put it together. It might not turn out great the first time. If it doesn't, try again. Right. Yeah. Uh, that's that's good advice. That's great advice. I'd say probably like as hunters we've all ran into the people that eat meat but are against hunting. <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which is a conversation probably for a different day. Yeah, but, yeah we'll go down that rabbit hole. You know, they'll go to a restaurant order, you know, whatever, and if it's cooked with beef or a domesticated chicken, it's amazing. But, you know, heaven forbid we use pheasants or squirrels or yeah. moose or whatever. Yeah, those, right. Pretty little cuddly creatures out there. That right. Not meant to be shot. Yeah. So so we had the squirrel. was awesome. And then we decided... I brought over a pheasant. We so, had so much, I can't even remember yeah. what order we So we had. had a pheasant. I brought over a pheasant from the much-talked-about... Um, yeah, do you want to tackle this topic now? Yeah, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get Jason's opinion on it. So... Speaking of domesticated birds. Speaking of... So I shot this pheasant in Pennsylvania, which... Obviously, is not a wild bird. Sure. It was raised. So, in general, how do you feel about hunting stocked pheasants? I think it's a great thing for Pennsylvania to have that. Unfortunately, the habitat doesn't exist any longer to support a wild population. Uh, and the state goes through a lot of trouble to raise those birds and put them out. Um, the fact that they do that is a good thing and it affords folks that can't travel to wild natural populations of pheasants to hunt them that gives them an opportunity to do so yeah um that's i unfortunately wasn't around when the pheasant hunting was still good here so the only birds that i had ever hunted up till three years ago were all stock birds i got lucky and made a friend who lives out west and now I can hunt wild birds but I guess sometimes you'd rather be lucky than good any day uh, so I think it's a good thing I yep. think it's good that, that they're available for residents to hunt I probably needed to hear that <laughs> man I just but, so I like to fly fish and there's that whole mantra in the fly fishing I guess in the trout fishing world that you know, who wants to fish for stocked trout? They just lay there, you hook them, you can catch them on anything. And it's not like going to Montana or Idaho and catching, you know, wild rainbows and brown trout on a fly rod. Um, but I never really thought about it from the perspective of, you know, I've been blessed to have the opportunity. My brother lives in Montana, so... I can go out there anytime I want and be on the best fly fishing in the entire world. Yeah. But I never really 
thought about it the way you just put it. Like, not everybody has is blessed with those opportunities. So to be able to go out and catch trout or shoot pheasants, like, that is a great, you know, a yeah. great opportunity for people to experience something that they maybe couldn't afford to do otherwise. I ran across a guy on the game lands back when I used to hunt the game lands around here for pheasants, walking around the pit bull, and got to talking to him, and hmm. he works six days a week, doesn't, you know, can't afford a hunting dog, so he had a dog, a rescue dog, and he gets one day to himself, really? he's got a family, and we, we talked for a long time, obviously I, know, I have way more information about this guy than I should have, but I was curious to what, when he was out there with his dog, and that's a perfect example of why... I think it's a good thing that that's available for somebody just like that guy. That that's that's all he's got, and he loves it. And yeah, who am I to say that's not, that's not a good thing? Yeah, yeah, that's no. awesome. That's a yeah. great point. Yeah, I never looked. I've never. I so I'm all about it too. I think it's I think it's fun for one. It's an opportunity, but I never even looked at it from that point of view myself. Like Clayton's always on me, like down my nose at it. Yeah, yeah, birds. Like I'm not doing that. They don't even flush. (laughs) I'm like, it's fun. Like we have always enjoy going out and trying to get a few birds. So that's a really good way to look at that. I've never even, even myself looked at that way. So we, we, so thank you for that, Jason. So now Clayton's not gonna bust on me so hard about. (laughs) I still will. (laughs) (laughs) Gotta have something. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, hunting stock pheasants, but so we had so we didn't know. I brought a pheasant over. We didn't know exactly what to do with it or how to cook it. No. So um, we decided to deep fry it after the squirrels turned out so well. We went southern on it. Yeah, yeah. Like, let's just cut <laughs> it and have it deep fried. Yeah, throw it in the oil, man. Yeah. <laughs> um, which was a great idea. I mean, I think I think it turned out it came out great. Yeah, I think it was. So we used some of the sauce from the squirrels on half of it. And then the other half, we just left plain, which the meat was really good. Really good. I thought so. Um, while this was all going on, Jason had seasoned up some uh, venison tenderloin. Some Fulton County venison. <laughs> some Fulton County uh, dough harvest that we had talked about earlier in the podcast. And um, had that going on the pellet smoker. So I don't know. I mean, just... Go ahead and tell us how you did that. No, don't need to give out any secrets. Yeah, no here. secrets, but just or do. yeah. We, or I mean, if you, want, <laughs> if you want to, I got a notepad here. Yeah, no, one, one yeah, thing you, you want to make sure you get all the silver skin off the off the tenderloin. That's one important thing. Um, it was already cleaned up really nice um, by Seth, so it didn't have to do that. Um, sprayed it down with some olive oil spray. If you don't have olive oil spray, you can just put a little bit in your hand, rub it down. That's just to hold the the seasoning to the meat. Um, sprinkle the seasoning on. You don't want to sprinkle it on too heavy. It'll get mushy as it cooks, so you just want a nice light seasoning on there. Um, and threw it on the smoker at 225 and uh, let it go. Let the smoke hit it. Uh, kept an eye on the temperature. Uh, pulled it off at uh, right around 130, I think we pulled that off. Let it rest for a couple minutes. And uh, you can either eat it hot like we did, uh, and just in small slices, or you can chill it. And then slice it thin, kind of like how we had the goose meat. Yep. yep. Put it in the dipping sauce. And uh, it's a good appetizer if you're having friends over. And like you guys have mentioned, they wouldn't know it's deer meat. No. No, I mean. Especially that dough, the the nice mild flavor. It was so tender, too. Holy smokes. 
Yep. I mean, I mean, I've had beef fillet that wasn't that tender. Personally, I mean, it was. Um, I thought it was really. So, so explain why you like to let the chilled thing go. So you normally I'd slice it on a electric slicer, mm-hmm. and chilled meat slices a lot easier than warm meat. Plus, I think it has a chance for all the flavors to be absorbed back into the meat that that cooks out when heat is applied to the meat. Uh, and I think it builds more flavor as it cools, and then as it's cold, I, I think there's more flavor flavor to it. Yeah, that way. Um, and you always want to make sure when you do slice it to slice against the grain. If you slice it with the grain, it's going to be real tough, and you're not going to be able to chew it. If you slice it against the grain, it'll be super tender. Uh, or even on the bias of the grain, it'll still be pretty good. That's a good tip. Yeah. So we we're just talking a little bit about the cold versus the warm. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, man, I never thought I'd like cold venison as much as I like that. Holy cow. Yeah. Especially when it's cooked like rare to medium rare, it really has a lot of flavor to it. Do you think slicing, do you think if you slice it thicker, like, do you think slicing it thin is the key right there? I mean, have you tried slicing it thicker? I have, and it's kind of gummy. Yeah. Uh, And it's, but having it thin sliced. Plus, also, when you slice it thin, you get a very little sliver of the seasoning that's on the outside of the meat. If you slice it thicker, you get a lot more of that seasoning. It can be overpowering. So you taste more of the seasoning, you do the meat. But if you slice it nice and thin, you get much more surface area of meat without the seasoning than you do with the seasoning. But it's enough to give you some flavor along with the meat. Yeah. Yeah, so like I mentioned, so for me, when I'm cooking venison, and I cook it pretty similar to what Jason did tonight, but there for sure, I feel like you got to go medium rare. Yes. Like, you do not want to cook that tenderloin past medium. No. At whatsoever. I think that's just a rule in general. Just right. Just don't ever yeah. do it. Yeah. Correct. But, I mean, that was, I mean, just, honestly, you could have put that in front of anybody and was like, here, I just got this filet from a beef, you know, Angus cow, and they'd be like, man, it's awesome. Yeah. It's a small Angus cow, but, man, it's good. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's a really small filet. But, uh, um, Yanked it right out of the cow. Yeah. So, Jason also calls the fish the fish. We had talked about that. Yeah, we, that's the right way. Just get that out that's, in the that's open. That's what I you guess. do call it. Yeah, it's it's called the fish, <laughs> right? Clayton calls it the preacher's meat. This was actually tenderloin sometimes, mainly preacher's meat. But um, I accept the term fish. Right, right. Why? Well, I think it's we settled it now. It's settled. Okay. Because we had an outside. Won't say it again. Right. <laughs> It's called the fish. Yeah, my preacher's going to be pissed. <laughs> <laughs> Just tell me you had an interference and now you call it fish. Um, and then, so I think that covers about all the meat. Did I miss any of the meat? We yeah. had a vegetable, uh, smoked mac and cheese. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I was going to talk about, yeah. It was uh, free-range, all-organic pasta. <laughs> I was like, listen to this. I was like, no oh, animals really? were harmed in the making of this mac and cheese. Organic pennies. I was like, man, I never heard of that. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, how'd you, how'd you do the smoked mac and cheese? Um, just boiled the noodles in some olive oil water and kosher salt until uh, they were... I don't know, three quarters of the way done. You don't want to cook it too much because by the time it finishes cooking in the smoker, you'll have a bunch of mush. Um, did a little different this time. Made a cheese sauce, poured that over it, and did it in layers. Noodles, cheese sauce, shredded cheese, noodles, cheese sauce, shredded cheese, and then cheese sauce on top of that because I made way too much cheese sauce. But does anything like that even exist? I don't think so. 
So I just put it all on Can't there. have too much cheese. Right. So we had a small container of smoked mac and cheese that weighed about 30 pounds. <laughs> and and it, was good. Uh, it wasn't too bad. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, it was fantastic. And we mentioned the eggs earlier, right? Yeah. We, we can to... mention them again. <laughs> yeah, I think that was Clay. Well, because at the end of it, we were talking about, okay, what's your favorite thing? Clay's like, I haven't had anything but deviled eggs today. What are y'all talking about? <laughs> oh, there was me? Yeah. yeah. I honestly think for me, what really stood out and surprised me most was the squirrel. Um, I was the Thank you. pot pie, uh, you know, boil it off, save it for later kind of guy. But to have them like that was kind of a mind bender. And it was I, a good, I enjoyed that. Yeah, just a good app. Pretty easy. Yeah. Really, yeah, super easy for yeah. me. I just watched you guys. And the cool <laughs> thing about that is, like, if you're one of those people that likes to experiment with sauces, yeah, it's yeah, basically could, like a wing and then just whatever sauce you like. You could put whatever sauce on it you wanted. You yeah. could do a barbecue sauce or, yeah, exactly. Whatever. Right. Yeah. Um, Jason, that kind of brings me to a question I like to ask a lot of cooks. What's your favorite thing to cook? Wow. I know it's really a tough question, but I mean... Spot there. Um, I'd have to say brisket, because it's the hardest thing to cook. Really? Mm. I spent three years trying to get brisket where I wanted it, and I wasn't happy with it. And then one, one day, you know, the light shine shone through the clouds down on my brisket, and it turned out perfect. And I haven't made one that good since. <laughs> I've gotten close, but it hasn't been that brisket. Um, each one's different. It requires a lot of prep work. Do you think that's because of the meat, or I think it's because of the meat. I think it's because of outside temperature. I think it's because of the seasoning you use. I think it's because of the phase of the moon. <laughs> it's. It, yeah, it, it's really strange on on how different each brisket is. I can cook a pork shoulder. I can cook ten pork shoulders all the same. I can cook ten rest of ribs all the same. They're all going to turn out great. I cook one brisket. It's not going to taste anything like the next brisket. Really? It might really? be close, but it won't be the best. So, like, the good brisket guys, they're good. Much respect. And I, I'll cook a brisket that I won't serve to my family. I chop it up into chunks and freeze it and use it in chili or something where you it doesn't matter. Really? Because I don't like it. But hmm. so I'm 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 obviously still learning. I always learn. I love to learn. That's the best part about all of this. Yeah. Um and I'm I'll never perfect a brisket, but I'm going to try. Yeah. Well, when you do, let us know, because Clayton and I will come over and let you know if you really yeah, did Yeah, we'll it. taste that. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Uh, hey, this, <laughs> yeah. This one tastes okay. You guys come over and let me know what you think. So, so yeah, it's, it's really tough. It really is. So I have a lot of respect for the guys that can that can do that and do it consistently. Hmm. Do you have, uh, like, as much as you'd like to cook, do you have any... I mean, did you hunt any big game this year? No. I haven't hunted any big game since 2009. Really? Time. Ten years. We do have points for Wyoming this year, this upcoming season for antelope on like one of the best units. So I may go hunt antelope, which will be the first big game that I've hunted. Yeah. Uh, so I'm kind of looking forward to that. I mean, do you have dreams of like shooting an elk so you have 300 pounds of elk? Maybe? I used to till our friends shot two in September in New, Me- in New Mexico. Or, no, 
October in New Mexico, and uh, my wife Tara went over to help uh, butcher them when they got home and saw how much meat they had, and I've eaten some of it, and it's good, but it's not worth my time and money driving to New Mexico or Colorado or Wyoming or Montana, wherever I'm going to shoot an elk. I don't really need it. It doesn't I, turn I, you on? It does, but I don't really, I don't have that need anymore to do it. I always had that. That's, that's my dream trip, to go hunt elk. But I don't have it anymore. Um, so what's your dream trip? It used to be King Eider in Alaska, but it's not that anymore either. Um, my dream trip is to continue doing what I've been doing, is taking Porter down to the Chesapeake Bay uh, every season and just spending the last week of duck season down there just because it's tradition. There's so much history in the camp that we have down there uh, and our friends that, that own the place. It's, I shouldn't even say friends. They're, they're family. And I've only known them for seven years, I think. Um, but it's like we, we're, we are, like we grew up together. Uh, Fritz is, he'll be 80 years old in a couple of years. All his hunting buddies have passed away, and he was looking for people to hunt with, and we just crossed paths, and it's like the grandparents we never had. That's cool. Man, that's awesome. We hunt out of sneak boxes down there. We carve our own decoys. It's just, and that that's my dream trip, but I, I get to do that, so I I don't so know you if get I can to define. do your dream trip yeah, every year. Yeah, that, that's the best that's answer awesome. I have for that. It's I don't I don't need anything else. I've, I've, I'm there. As long as I can keep doing that, I'm happy. Yeah, that's so cool. It's fun to see how like as like Clay and I will talk about this sometimes. Like as you get older, like <laughs> what you want out of a hunt changes from when you're like 18 years old. 100. percent And like you can see yourself. Go and I'm like I'm entering a stage where I was like, man, I think I would get to this point in my hunting career till I was a lot older. But now I'm just like, we'll talk about this. Like I would love to either just take a kid out, like turkey hunt especially, and like get them hooked on it, or like I'll take Clayton out and try to help him get a turkey every year or whatever. Like I enjoy that part of it now. Like obviously I want to kill a big deer. Like I'm still tore up with deer hunting, but it's funny how you just your like goals or your your idea of a dream hunt changes as the older you get, so that's really cool to hear you say. What yeah. What's your dream hunt? Like, what do you guys... Do you have that's the same that. dream? Or? Oh, man. Um, if you know yours, go ahead, because, I mean, I would have to think about mine for a second. I've probably been on my dream hunt twice, but I haven't successfully finish my dream hunt okay so obviously my little brother mitch lives in montana and i am you know sitting over here in pennsylvania two thousand miles from there i am as tore up with killing a bull elk with a bow and arrow as you can be in pennsylvania my little brother kills a bull elk every year with his bow (laughs) and i've been out there um, I've been on two, no, yeah, I've been on an elk hunt in Bozeman, in Montana, where we've called bulls in to 45, 50 yards, bugling, oh, man. shitting my pants, like, right in, the, right in the zone. Last year we went to Colorado, we did like a nine day backcountry, horses, the whole thing, we called bulls in, inside 100 yards. 
and like that's my dream hunt is to just big bull you know 40 50 yards just throwing right through the rib cage and you know the whole thing that goes after that but i mean i really want to kill a moose but i i would say is to just like the couple hunts that i've been on is my dream hunt would just be to do the what i've done already and just finish it off you know i haven't flung an arrow yet i've been on two elk hunting trips where i've been in you know i've had bull elk bugling inside 100 yards and i haven't shot an arrow yet have you been drawn back i have not even been drawn back um yeah i mean i'll tell you the 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 last time i was in montana we kind of had written the day off and we're walking down to the camp i mean i say walk we still had like three or four miles to go you know we were way back in and my brother's like Okay, it's getting to that time of day. Let me just make some cow calls, and we'll see what happens. And we get to this meadow. He cow calls once, and this bugle just rips out, like, inside 200 yards. We must have just walked past this bull without him even knowing. And he's like, all right, man, get behind that bush. Get behind that tree. I'm going to go back behind you. Call. This is it, you know? And I'm like, this is it. This is how it's (laughs) supposed to go. The sun's setting. I'm looking in the background, snow-capped mountains. Like, this is it. And I look up on this ridge walking down, and here's this massive bull. And he stands up on this hill, 75 yards from me, leans his head back, and just rips a bugle across the canyon. I'm just like, holy fuck. <laughs> Make know? the hair on your arm like, stand up. Like, oh my god, I don't even know if I can draw my bow <laughs> when this thing gets in here. Yeah. And my brother can't see anything. Hits a cow call again, and this this bull just looks down our way, and he just starts sauntering down, swinging his head back and forth, and I'm just like, this is it, this is it. And he calls him, he ends up walking into 45 yards, and I'm behind this bush, and as soon as he gets into the meadow, just looks right at me, you know? And his, his chest is facing me, and I'm just like, I don't know what to do. I haven't had enough experience. I don't know what to do. So I just froze. And next thing I know, right when I get ready to draw my bow, he just turns 90 degrees and bolts. That's as close as I've been, you know? That's pretty smart. (laughs) Pretty smart. And he was a giant, you know? And they don't get that big, obviously, the old saying, they don't get that big by being dumb. But my brother told me, he's like, you'd have killed that bull if you would have drawn when he started walking toward, when he turned toward you. He's like, because they're either going to bolt or they're going to turn 90 degrees and give you a broadside shot. And I didn't know. Yeah. You know, so I just froze. And uh, we caught a couple of bulls in last year in Colorado. I was just like, I just want to finish that off. Sure. You know, and after the hunt, it's just like, I don't care if I see another elk. I don't care. I just, bugling elk is just the end all be all for me, so... Neat. Yeah. Yeah. There's something special about those elk bugling, man. It's just like a. It just takes you like back like a hundred years. Like, can you imagine what these people saw when they came out west? Yeah. And they'd never seen an elk before, and these freaking thousand pound animals with these (laughs) huge racks on their head are just screaming in the middle of the mountains. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and you're trying to shoot a stick through their heart. You know, it's just I I just get eat up with it. You get down to the nuts and bolts of it. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. 
Plus, like, all the hard work that goes into it, you know? You train all year to just be able to, like, hike up that mountain without throwing up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Or the guide, you know, you dragging you up the mountain. Out there, man. And then it's like, you've hiked all that way, and then your heart's just jamming in your chest, and you're trying to shoot up an arrow through it. It's just, it's, I just love it. Yeah. That's great. The challenge, I guess. It's like anything, like, you know, when you go out to a, a duck hole or a, a field to try and shoot geese just like the whole setup and like you know the chess match of how we're going to make this work and how we're going to draw this animal in I just like I love that and I think that's you know not trying to speak for Seth but I think that's probably why he's eating up with turkey hunting yeah I mean this dude's the master right here I know I keep telling you that but yeah I like turkey hunting this dude can kill turkeys with anybody on the planet yeah, I mean, I guess I was just thinking about, like, my dream hunt. And, like, I think I live it every season, too, like you said. Like, my dream hunt is just to go toe-to-toe with the eastern wild turkey right here in Pennsylvania, um, in the hills, in the mountains, farmlands, you know, every like, with a buddy, by myself, whatever. I just, that's my dream hunt is hunt. Now, I mean, close second would be, like, bow hunting whitetails in the rut. Like, that's... Like, it's like 1 and 1A one for me, but, um, yeah, I think my dream hunt is just, I get to do it every year, every spring, comes around, we go on a hunting trip out in western PA and just made families, sort of the same thing you're talking about, we met some people out there, um, and now we stay with them at their house, we hunt on their land, we hunt a little bit of public, we hunt, you know, their property, and, like, the first four days of the Pennsylvania season, all we do is just... We go out hunting turkeys to about nine or ten, depending on what they're doing, and then we'll hunt some morel mushrooms. Thank you. Because usually That's the morels are popping out there about that better. time. Getting and, back into the cooking a little yeah, bit. Yeah, and we're pulling that back in. So, <laughs> so we'll pull some mushrooms or pick some mushrooms. And and as much as I love to turkey hunt, if I start running into morel mushrooms, I'm like, what's a turkey, right? Yeah, exactly. So I like the guns down, the and we're hunting oh we're hunting God. mushrooms at that point. And then we'll come back and like slice those things up, make some omelets, and with the the mushrooms, some green pepper, onions, and you know throw something on the smoker. Some usually, fortunately, we've been pretty lucky. We'll kill some turkey, so we'll throw some turkey breasts on the smoker, like before we go out in the morning. And uh, so yeah, I mean, I guess that's my dream hunting. I get to do it every year. That's great. Yeah. I feel like an asshole. Y'all are going on your dream hunts every year. <laughs> yeah. You got to pick a new dream, bud. Yeah. Man, my dream sucks. <laughs> yeah. But no, I mean, it's funny how, like, I think just like what Jason was talking about, at one point you have this, like, I think I, I had like the idea of the elk hunt at one point probably as well. But now it's just like, man, I just love getting out with my buddies like that's man that's everything to me anymore really it is like you kills everybody wants to kill something like that's why we're out there at the end of the day really you want to pull the trigger but man just hanging out with your buddies is like man yeah it's weird how it works out too a lot of my hunting buddies don't live around here you know we're scattered all over some in different states um, a lot of them are across pennsylvania some out to pittsburgh up towards reading um and that's I mean, we get together maybe once or twice in the off season, but life gets in the way. But we all get to hang out at hunting season. It's you're hanging out and you're hunting, and it's goes back to that word that you said gets thrown around all the time is camaraderie. And it's for me, I'm in that stage where that's that's what really matters. 
Yeah. Yeah, so I think uh, it's funny how like it's come back to camaraderie already two times. Clayton and I talk about that a lot. It's just that's the word that always so Clayton and I had this um, podcast a little bit. I don't know. Maybe we should get a thesaurus out and find a synonym for camaraderie. We should because that's all <laughs> we talk about. But I'll ask you the question. I already think I already know the answer, so I might not even have to ask it. But we, like Clayton and I talk about what does deer camp mean to us. So we answered that question. And so what does so I know you're not into deer hunting like we are, but what does waterfowl camp mean to you? Like, what do you need to have at waterfowl camp? Duck camp's a whole different animal. Duck camp, whatever you call it. Yeah. What do yeah. I need to have at duck camp? Yeah, yeah. like, what, what do you what is, have at duck camp? What's duck camp? <laughs> what's duck camp? I, I, I need four things. Give me the rundown from, like, Friday after work till you leave. I can do that. What do you, what's going on here? I'll start with the four things that I need. <laughs> I need dogs. I need a toilet. Scotch. And cigars. <laughs> Suck it. <laughs> if there's no ducks, that's fine. It makes it a little more unbearable when there's no ducks, but hey, as long as we have those other four things, we're good. Um, that's awesome. No, I mean, <laughs> you know, si- since we've been hunting down on the bay, uh, you know, I started hunting down there with an old friend, uh, Billy Hardesty, and uh, some of his friends, and we really had a good time, and... It seemed like that's what was missing. If there's anything missing in my life, I'm I'm so thankful for everything I have. If there's anything missing, it was duck hunting on the bay. Mm-hmm. There was really something that in my gut that felt I needed to be here. So got a boat, uh, started hunting the area too. After you know talking to the guys I was hunting with, I'm not trying to move in on your spot. It's all public land, but I don't want to be that guy. You know what I mean? But there, there's thousands and thousands and thousands of acres. So was hunting down there. Ran into. Um, Fritz and Judy on the internet. I don't think they were stalking me like Clayton was, but you never know. Um, <laughs> they weren't. <laughs> maybe I was stalking them. Who knows? Um, and, you know, we started using their duck camp, uh, helped maintain it, um, do lots of work down there, and made really good friends with them. And, you know, we all arrive on a, a Friday night, and, you know, we make some food, we get the heat going, we winterize it every time we leave so the pipes don't freeze, blow air through all the lines, all that kind of stuff. So you got to, you know, bring everything up to working order, get water in the pipes, get the heat going, we put a pellet stove in, get the house warmed up, and, you know, make sure the dogs are comfortable and fed, get the boat ready to go hunting the next morning, and then just sit back in the recliner of the couch and smoke cigars and drink scotch and talk about duck hunting. Yeah. That's what it's about. Is being, you know, there are times when I really don't want to go duck hunting the next day. I want to sit in the house. Is that because you're hungover? <laughs> I try not to. I run the boat, so I make sure I'm never in that situation. Because uh, I want to go and I want to be safe about it. Um, it's a little different when you have four or five people on board your boat and you're responsible for their safety. Uh, the Chesapeake Bay is extremely dangerous, especially when you're on open water like that. Yeah, um, and we, you know, we hunt all open water ducks, and you know, we go across there when the conditions are less than advisable to actually be on the water. That's when the duck hunting's good. I was gonna say that's probably when the when yeah. you're smashing them. I mean, we'll we'll break 
inches and inches of ice the whole way across the bay when we have to to get across there. Really? I mean, we, we've, we've been out on the bay. There's been, you know, 30 inches of ice chunks floating by, and we have to be very careful to not hit them. You can't go out across there in the dark, balls to the wall. you got to poke across carefully in the daylight and get across safely. There's been times where we've gone miles in solid ice, breaking ice with the boat to get to an open hole to shoot ducks. What boat are you running? Uh, I have a duck water, a uh, 21-foot ocean, and it's got a quarter-inch aluminum ice-breaking keel, the whole front of the boat, 175-horsepower uh, outboard, uh, four-stroke Suzuki. Okay. Comes, and comes back to the, if you want to be a waterfowl guy, especially in the, the Chesapeake, gear. you better have the gear. Oh, yeah, it was like $30 down at the dollar store. It wasn't that bad. Right. No, I bet. <laughs> Sounds like it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah aluminum yeah, was real cheap, it was, uh, it was a very... Good, a good investment. It is my wife's boat. Somehow, her name got put on the title. So if I ever make her really mad, she gets the boat. But yeah. at least I get the dog, so we're good. Keep, yeah, well, that's fair. Everybody wins. <laughs> right. So, the, so uh, at risk of exposing myself, what do you mean by, like, how are you hunting these things? Open water. So you're driving out in the middle of the bay and just. Well, there, there's, there's, there are public islands on the. Okay, bay. so you're going for an island. Yeah. Okay. And then there's also. Um, public lands on the mainland, both the eastern shore and the western shore. We hunt on the eastern shore, um, public land. And, um, you know, you have to navigate a lot of times on bigger water to get to those areas, even on the mainland, where not everybody can get to. So everybody with a John boat can't get to this spot. So there's probably going to be less pressure there. Um, but it all depends on the weather. You what do you call an open water? Like, what do you mean by you're hunting open water ducks? Like, what does um, that mean? Uh, uh, more than an open water duck. When I say open water, I mean we're finding open water that's not frozen. Ah. It, it gets the best when everything freezes. And you just that's want that. That's the best. Yeah. And you just find open water, and a lot of times you'll find ducks. Not every time, but a lot of times. Um, the Two seasons before this season, it was really rough. It was either everything was frozen or everything was thawed, and we really struggled. This year, we hit it just right. And because that you, concentrates where the ducks are going to land. Can land. Yep. And why are they landing there? Because that's, that's where they're feeding? Because they, they're they, diver they ducks? Need, or? Right. They need okay. to feed on underwater vegetation and to rest also. Now, they will rest on ice, but they prefer not to. They prefer to have open water. So if you can find Okay, that, so that's what you mean by open water. Yeah. Now, when okay. I say big water ducks, now I'm talking divers like blackheads, redheads, canvasbacks, um, you know, diving ducks. And uh, you'll find them mostly on larger bodies of water, large lakes, the bay. Uh, and how do you lakes. hunt those? Um, you put out a hell of a lot of decoys. Uh, we do anyway. Uh, you make a massive spread. and uh, You can't hunt out you, of the boat, can you? You can. Um, we do hunt out of the boat some. Other times we hunt out of the AVNX A-frame blinds. So we'll set them up on the bank, brush them in with uh, natural vegetation, and you just tuck the boat off in the distance. I have a small poke boat, basically a kayak on steroids that I keep on my boat. So I'll tuck my boat off in the distance and paddle over to the blind. Oh, man. Call that a P-row. It, it is uh, it's a P-row on steroids. Yeah. A little bit wider, so I don't yeah. roll it over and, and freeze to death. But that that's a good safety net to have, too, having that little boat. You know, a dog gets out there and gets caught up in decoys or whatever. You can go out and, and help them out or okay. sail one out in the distance. So you're So you're going across the bay, though? To find land somewhere else, though, right. and then you're hunting off of that. Right. Hopefully, with a little bit of open water around the land. Correct. Is what you're looking for. Correct. Okay. 
I know nothing about duck hunting yeah. at what, all. What was it like the first time? Okay, so it's your boat, you know, obviously. What was it like the first time you had to make that run as captain of the ship, you know? Uh, it wasn't bad. I grew up running boats, smaller boats, on like Potomac River, things like that. I had my boater's license way before I had my driver's license. Um, I thank my dad for teaching me boat safety and proper ways to operate a boat, navigate in fog. Uh, we used to fish a lot of small lakes around here. Uh, meadow grounds when it was full Caledonia we'd be out in the fog and he'd teach me how to find my way back you know, in the dark or in the fog without any kind of navigation hmm. tools luckily now I have you know compasses chart plotters everything else that, that I yeah. need to have to be safe um, it wasn't that bad however the second time I was out was the first storm that I got caught in um, and that was a learning experience we had to stop at one point and adjust where our gear was in the boat to bring it farther back from the nose of the boat so I didn't take any waves over the nose of the boat. We had a lot of people, a lot of dogs, a lot of gear. A lot that goes into uh, it. And we had to adjust that to be safer. We'd right. have been okay, but it, it made for a more pleasurable ride back. Now, since then, I've been caught in much worse weather, um, not by choice. Uh, you know, we, we, we are smart. There are days we don't go out. And there are days we only go certain places because, you know, it's going to be the, that bad. The bay is very unforgiving. You could be in nine-foot waves out in the Atlantic Ocean and be fine. But you could be in four-foot waves in the bay and be totally screwed. Really? Yeah. And that's something that, like, the duck hunters around here, the goose hunters, guys that are hunting rice fields down south, they don't have to deal with that. No. You know, it's like... But that's what and, I like. That's the adventure of it. Yeah. That's, that's where... That's the draw for you? Yeah. Yeah. It is. Yeah. Is, is Mother Nature and figuring her out and knowing where I can go, when I can go, and then also knowing your limits and when not to go. Right. Yeah, yeah because one small thing out there can get bat bad in a hurry. Yes. Yeah. So, like, like full up when you're going out, how many guys are in your boat? Like, Well, we usually try to keep it five or less. Okay. I can take seven or eight. But it just gets uncomfortable. You get yeah. a lot of gear in there. Uh, we have over 200 decoys in the boat. Oh, my goodness. Um, by the time you get, you know, five blind bags, five guns, two dogs, everybody's gear, a cook stove, <laughs> um, yeah, all the weights to hold the decoys down. Um, each each decoy, we do a single drop, so each decoy has its own 13-ounce weight that we, we make. I have a lead pot that I'm making a muffin pan, and we make our own weights. But then the long lines and stuff have big 10-pound weights to hold them down. Um, by the time you get all that in the boat, it's pretty heavy. So you got to be careful about how much weight you put in the boat um, and know what the wind and waves. And, you know, they could say you're going to have three-foot waves. Well, that's fine, but you got to take into account the tide, too. If you have a south wind and an outgoing tide, the waves are going to be taller than they forecast because you have the wind and the tide against each other. So you gotta you got to think a lot and you got to think on your toes. There's so much to more react. that goes into the... I guess big water hunting or the open water hunting than you know guys running mud boats down in Arkansas. You know? Yeah, which carries its own danger too. The the yeah. mud, the mud yeah, boats. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. There is. There's a lot of, and it's not for everybody. But there's a lot of guys that do it, and they're really good at what they do. They're they're good at navigating, and they're good at killing ducks. Yeah. I was fortunate to learn from some of them, and I'm thankful for that. Have you been in any situations that you didn't think you were going to get out of? No. But I've been in situations where people in my boat thought we weren't going to get out of <laughs> and they were extremely terrified. Yeah. Um, you were mentioning Jason Gates. Yeah. He was with us and he was pretty terrified. Um, Trust the captain. 
Yeah. It was, and and I was, I wasn't concerned, but I was aware. Yeah. Of, of what we were facing, and we shot a hell of a lot of ducks that night, so <laughs> it was worth every penny. And when we came back in, it was glass. Really. Complete glass. And you got a better story from it, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and it wasn't you know it was okay to a certain point, and there were like six or seven waves that were stacked up um, across the channel because the channel's ninety feet deep. The rest of it's like fourteen feet deep, and uh, I could see them, and I was like, oh shit, and uh, I operated the throttle and the trim on the motor properly to get the nose through them without taking any waves into the boat. That's just you just got to be aware. Yeah, that's unbelievable, and that's one thing I appreciate. We, we talk about this, like, if you spend a, a day or two hunting with somebody, you can learn a lot about a person that way. Just, like, who you want to hunt with again and who you don't. Like, Clayton is very, we're both pretty safety-oriented, I think, but, man, in a situation like that, you don't want to be out there with somebody that you don't really trust. First, you know what I mean? Like, uh, just... I, I don't go duck hunting. And, I mean, the safety thing, the boat is one thing. People operating their guns a certain way. I mean, there's accidents that happen in duck hunting all the time where, you know, ducks come in, one guy stands up, one guy doesn't stand up. Next thing you know, guy gets his face tore off, you know? Oh, man, yeah. I mean, it's like, I'd say the waterfowl hunting, you know, I mean, we sit in a blind together with two rifles, but the muzzles are pointing the right direction, safeties are on, but the duck hunting thing, you know, flock of ducks comes in. People get weird, you know. Well, there's a lot they, going they, on, too. They you got dogs running right. around after that. You got people getting out of blinds, leaving their gun leaned up against something that could fall over. There's, like you said, there's a lot to, that goes on. There's a, yeah, you have to pay attention. That's like everybody I've gone duck hunting with, you kind of want to be with your boys that everybody knows what to do, you know. It's hard. Exactly. It's hard it, it, I get tentative when I take a rookie out. I, I often don't anymore. We, I used to hunt with so many people, and I, I still like them as people. Yeah. But I don't want to hunt with them. Right. Yeah, and exactly. For, for various reasons. So you, you narrow down who who works hard, who appreciates why they're there, and who you enjoy being around. And, and that's who you make your, your, your close duck hunting buddies. Yeah. And then the camp life just... That's goes from there. Yeah, it's the same people that you want to share camp with too. Right. Is what I think it comes down to. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, man, I just I can't thank you enough for having us over. Thanks for coming over. This has been a lot of fun. Cooking that meal. Um What all did we have again? <laughs> we had some deviled eggs. <laughs> Clayton had deviled eggs. I had deviled eggs. I think there's three more. <laughs> yeah, those will be in the truck on the way home. Yeah. Um No, I mean what what is there anything else you'd like to talk about? I just like to uh I mean, shameless plug here. I'd say the vast majority of our listeners are probably from this area, you know, pulley whistle provisions. If you need a party, if you need a, I mean, are you guys going to be we every weekend? Or are you reservations only? Yeah, reservations only. I have a day job that keeps me from doing that all the time. So if you're having a, a, a summer backyard party or a wedding or fundraiser. some kind of fundraiser or something, you know, Look us up on Instagram uh, or Facebook, 
and you know shoot us a message and, and we'll work with you you know if, if we can't do it we'll be honest with you and say you know we can't we're not gonna you know blow smoke and say well we do blow a lot of smoke but it's across the, <laughs> it's across the food um and say we can do something that that's we a can't. t-shirt yeah that's right we blow a lot of smoke we blow that. a lot of smoke it's on our meat <laughs> <laughs> it's not up your ass it's on the meat <laughs> Um, but yeah, yeah, just you know, give us a shout. You know, we'll we'll work with you. And uh, just picked up a food trailer. We're getting that constructed now, and uh, you'll see us out and about. That's awesome, Seth. You got a concluder? Uh, concluder. We're well, we're gonna steal this from Meat Eater Podcast. Yes, um, I guess. I mean, I want to. Man, you kind of got me itching to get into duck hunting a little bit more. To be honest with you. I'll show you guys a video when we're done here, and then you'll definitely want to do Yeah, like, um, I get so, I think for me, it's just all about experiencing new things, meeting new people. Like, here's another great example where just cooking, and so we want to do a, a podcast with you to talk about your cooking and how you got into that. But, like, hunting in general has hopefully, like, I've enjoyed our time. appreciate you having us over, like, just the people that you meet doing this stuff, like, is, I, I don't know if it's a concluder, but um, I'm just appreciative of the relationships that you build through hunting and that whole nine yards. So I don't know if it's a concluder, but thanks for having us over. Absolutely. Thanks for sitting down and showing us how you're cooking, showing us what you're doing. Hopefully, you know, we'll do another podcast some down, you know, down the road with you. We'll talk about something else, I'm sure, but... I want, I want to get into the duck hunting a little bit more, I think, is what I'm taking out of this whole thing. So, well, thank you for showing interest in what we're cooking and yeah. hunting and everything else. And that's, I'm, I'm return interest in what you guys are into. It's, it's pretty neat. It's a yeah. lot of fun. So that's my concluder. Uh, Clay, what's yours? Man, my concluder, I think, is gratitude. You know? Yeah. I mean, I went from being at a concert... Yeah, like we're complete strangers to Jason, by the way. Yeah. He, like so literally up. the first day yeah, that we, we met you and your wife and you guys. Yeah, yeah, and your wife too, yeah. Thank very you. Very yeah. hospitable. Just letting two strangers come drink beer and eat your meat. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good way to put it. You know, I mean I, I would say my concluder is just that. It's I mean, I met a guy at a concert who you know, and I guess that goes back to the beauty, you know, as, as ridiculous as social media has become with all the political stuff and, you know, this, that, and the other, there's still positives to it, Absolutely. you know, and I probably, I probably would have never reached out to you and, you know, said, Hey man, I think we share some similar interests. Let's get together and hang out and talk about it. Um, I just think it's really cool. I think that Franklin County needed a breath of fresh air with this type of stuff, with the food trucks, with you doing what you're doing, with the wild game. I am just dipping a toe in the water to cooking. You know, I completely taught myself how to cook. That's great. You know, when I was in college, I was... I mean, living in Louisiana, I've said this a hundred times, if you're a if you're a man in Louisiana and you don't know how to cook, people don't respect you. <laughs> and that's true, you know, like you go out and tailgate, um, you know, the guy who owns the tailgate is the one who's cooking the gumbo, the jambalaya, um, and I guess it kind of just, 
I wanted to do it. I wanted to learn, and um, I don't know really where I'm going with that, but, you know, I just, I really got into cooking. I think it's a breath of fresh air for me and Franklin County to know that there's other people out there that are really into it, doing it the right way, hunting animals ethically. Um, I think one thing that I wanted to touch on tonight, and I'll skip my concluder and go right to this, um... Sunday hunting. Oh yeah, we, we talked about it earlier. That. I that was about to be a great conclusion to the podcast, but I think we need to bring it back in because I wanted to ask you about this because I want to ask every hunter about this. Sure. Um, because I want to be as educated as possible on every hunting subject, so that when someone asks me about it, I can speak. You know, educated on it. I mean, what are your thoughts? Do you see any negatives to it? Only from a selfish perspective, and it would be more prevalent if I actually hunted more ducks in PA than I do, but that having extra days during the week to hunt on Sunday well could, and I, don't, I haven't seen the framework, ultimately shorten or reduce the amount of time you can hunt ducks. You'll still get your 60 days or 30 days right. if you're dropping the mallard limit, but I, and I haven't looked at that either. They're dropping um, the mallard limit? Yeah, from four to two. In Pennsylvania? Where is this starting? Flyway next year. Really? Yep. And is there an overall tr- downward trend in the population? There has been quite a while in yeah. the Atlantic Flyway. And they think that's due to hunting? Uh, hunting, and I read one article, and I, don't, I didn't, wasn't able to check the sources or anything on the article, but they mentioned about the artificial... Uh, population numbers that were created by the amount of mallards that were raised and released uh, in Maryland hmm. uh, that became part of the Atlantic Flyway population that are now no longer really there because nobody does it much anymore. Is there any truth to that? I don't know. I I, I don't have a lot of knowledge on it. Uh, I just know that they are. I did read some articles that they were reducing that. So in the 2019-2020 duck season. Two mallards. Either sex? Uh, I think you're allowed one hand, one drink. Can't shoot two hands. Mm-hmm. That's starting next year. Yep. Wow, I didn't know and that. In Maryland, one goose. Excuse what? me. One goose or two geese? No, you're allowed to one goose. That's one, go- one goose a day per person. Well, starting can next year. Any species? Canada's. Yep. Really? Yep. In the uh, AP zone. They're rats. I mean, I, I mean, how is that possible? Well, the Atlantic population of migratory geese. Is they, they so they base it on breeding pairs, um, and there aren't enough breeding pairs to sustain the population levels that they determine need to be. The Fish and Wildlife Service determines needs to be present, so they're reducing the uh, bag limits to in hopes to re- restore the population over time. Really? Yep. So so that includes what states then? Well, I I'm only. I only know about Maryland. Okay. Um, All right. I don't know if that's going to include the Atlantic population hunting zone in PA and New York and other areas, but the mm-hmm. resident population zone, which is where we are, I haven't read there's any changes. It's still eight per person per day in the early season and five per person per day in, in the rest of the season. But next year, I can still shoot six ducks, but only two of them can be mallards. That's correct. Which is mainly, I mean, that's all we see right here. Right? 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 I shot a couple here. more ganges, a couple woodies yeah. early. Right. And I've shot a couple widgeon around here, and never even shot a gadwall around here. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's quite a change. It is. 
Really? Which, man, yep. I guess it'll end up being a good thing. Maybe. We'll see, I guess. But. Yeah. And and what did they, they... You didn't see what they attributed the... Just the raising and releasing them? They think is the... The popul- Why the population was, I'll say, boosted for so many years. Okay. Hmm. What do you think about Sunday hunting? Um, in general, um... Do you see a negative? I don't see a negative. No, I don't see. I, I don't. I don't see a negative. I see it as like what Jason may mention too. Like, okay, we'll let you hunt Sundays, but instead of getting a six or seven week bow season, maybe we're only going to give you five or six weeks. Mm-hmm. Okay. So you'll get the same amount of days, but now you can just hunt them. You know, these seven days instead of these six days or whatever it is. So I, I don't really have a say one way or the other i know they're talking about moving the pennsylvania deer season opener for rifle from the first monday confirmed april is when they have the final vote on it okay um from monday after thanksgiving to the saturday after thanksgiving which i i don't really care personally but i think it'll be a detriment to the um economics of some of the Northern Tier, Potter County, McKean County, Cameron, the northern states of, or counties of Pennsylvania, those those little small businesses depend on guys going up the Friday or Saturday after deer season, and they stay and they after shop Thanksgiving. those. Yeah, after yeah, Thanksgiving. but don't you think that'll just give them one more day? No, I, I don't. I think guys will just get up there like Friday night, hunt Saturday. What's well, weird because it's almost setting up like they're gonna set it up to hunt Sundays. Because you're not gonna like, what are you gonna do? Hunt s- Saturday, and then not yeah. hunt Sunday. And then wait till Monday. Yeah, a lot of guys will just maybe hunt Saturday now and then go home. Yeah. And so I think they're setting it up to almost make sense to go to Sunday hunting because otherwise, it's kind of silly that you would quit hunting for one day and then you can pick it back up on that Monday. But yeah. I think those small businesses, the bars, the restaurants, and not as many people go upstate as they used to in Pennsylvania. I'm talking about now. But, like, man, my family, all my family still goes up to the northern tier of Pennsylvania. They go up the Friday or Saturday after Thanksgiving, you know, sit around their camp, support the local restaurants, support the local businesses. They hunt Monday, Tuesday, then they come home. Well, now it's like, okay, are we even going to go up there anymore because we can only hunt Saturday. We can't hunt Sunday. Like, let's just hunt around here or See, whatever. See, I think it'll so, be the opposite effect. Mm-hmm. I think they will Thanksgiving Thursday. Yeah. Go up Friday so that they can hunt Saturday, Sunday, you know, maybe Sunday will be a, you know, best case scenario they allow Saturday opener, Sunday hunting. Right, that's what I'm saying. Like you're almost half to. But if they don't allow Sunday hunting, then first day Saturday People say, hey, Sunday's a nice day. I'm at my camp. I'll relax up here. You know, we had a good day hunt yesterday. I'll get ready to hunt Monday, Tuesday. People will take that Sunday as like a camp. You know, maybe they'll bring even more people up there. Like, hey, we have a relaxed Sunday after the first day of rifle season. I think it can create a whole new tradition Mm -hmm. of, you know, like me personally. Okay, just like take me this is just my example i can't hunt monday because i sell guns for a living 
and I'm in, you know, m- the Monday after Cyber Thanksgiving Monday. is Cyber Monday. Right. The whole gun industry is Monday, people are buying guns, people are buying ammo. So I can't hunt the opener in Pennsylvania, you know? So for me, Saturday, I can go to the camp Friday night. I can actually have a relaxed first day of rifle season on Saturday, not worrying about am I missing work, am I doing this, am I doing that, mm-hmm. you know? So, I mean, obviously there's, like, stipulations to every situation, but, like, I, I think overall... Yeah, I mean, yeah, you could look I at I think it overall adding another day of hunting to the season will not... I, I think adding another day to the hunting season... Is benefit everybody yeah. in the long run. Maybe not, you know. Obviously, there's those in the short run. It's like, you know, oh man, you know, Monday, Sunday used to be my camp day. That was our tradition to go up there hunt Monday, Tuesday. But now our tradition is to hunt Saturday, Sunday. Everybody can go back to work Monday, yeah. Tuesday. I think that works if you legalize Sunday hunting. Is the big kicker? There. Yeah, which I yeah. think I think both of them will end up happening. In my, opinion. I think so too. Yeah. I mean. I don't think they really have a leg to stand on not legalizing Sunday hunting, really. They don't. They don't. So, um, I don't know. I mean, I don't really care either way. Because I'm going to take vacation, or I'm going to save my time. I'm going to get the hunting in that I want to, either way. I do think, in general, um, hunting, the population of people out hunting is declining. And so, opening up Sunday hunting... Helps that culture grow. I'm for it. Yeah. It's like we talk about the like. We don't want those people hunting where we hunt. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I want a ton more people to get into hunting, but just not, not the spot. Yeah, that like I if they want to go up in Northwest or Northeast PA, that's you can great. hunt other people's spots. Yeah, not just spot. not. Yeah, Clayton and I, uh, Jace, we laugh about this all the time. Like. Everybody says there's less hunters, but every time Clayton and I go out there, it seems like there's more people where we're hunting all the time. There's less places for them to go. Well, I think that's another point. Yeah, so forget the concluder. Um, Yeah, we're into a whole other thing now. So back in the day, like even when you talked about, like I feel like you could go up. Okay, deer hunting was always pretty protected, but you could go to anybody's farm pretty much around here and be like, hey, can I hunt turkeys or can I hunt ducks or geese? And they'd be like, I don't care about ducks or geese. Like, yeah, kill them all. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, Most they're times are corn. Yeah, they're a nuisance. Right. Like, be respectful of the property. But now you got guys looking for a lease for duck hunting. You got guys looking for, and like the amount of ground is shrinking. So even though the hunter numbers overall are shrinking, the amount of ground is shrinking much faster than the population. Yeah. If, you'd, what, if you'd have told me five years ago that people would be leasing. Goose hunting ground in Franklin County, I'd have told you you're out of your damn mind. Yeah, pretty ridiculous, isn't it? it it's ridiculous. It and a lot of ground is lost, too, by disrespectful hunters leaving trash. Exactly. Absolutely. We've gone to farms before and picked up a grocery bag full of trash that people have left behind. And we've gone places to hunt, and people said, no, we don't want trash left behind. And we you know, we promised not to do that. And like, no, we don't want the trouble. And we're like, all right, thanks for your time. You know, right. Move on. Right. That's that's something we can talk about for sure is like if you're uh lucky enough, blessed enough to have a landowner offer you up their place to hunt, the least thing you can do is leave the ground better than what you 
you know, found it. Absolutely. Like Clayton and I, if we're lucky enough to have somebody let, like we will pick up every shotgun shell. Like we hunt doves. Like I'll quit hunting to look for a shotgun shell if I'm hunting somebody's farm. Like, ah, yeah. crap! I shot this shotgun shell. Where did it go? Like, if it gets in the, the hay, if they're making hay or something. Yeah, exactly. It'll mess up the equipment or the, the animals if it gets that far. Yeah, so, I mean, be respectful. If you're lucky enough to hunt private ground, like, I'll offer, you know, let us know what we can help you out with. So, I think that goes a long way just to help the hunting, uh, I don't know, perception of hunters in general. Like, so that's a good point for people out there. Like, if you're lucky enough, treat the ground, like, better than it would if you own it. You know, absolutely. Um, but yeah, so no. How do you feel? About, I mean, I think I know how you feel about Sunday hunting after that. So I'm you're all, all for it. it. I I told Dave Keller, who's taking Alloway's place. Um, you know, he was asking me about it this week, and I said, if you're gonna do anything, emulate Virginia, which is. Private ground, you can hunt on Sundays. Public, no. And I said, start there because if it's not going to work for Pennsylvania and you open it up to everything, public included, which you and I hunt public ground all the time. You know, I'm all for public ground hunting. I want to do everything I can for people hunting public. We've talked about that. But once the lid's off the jar, you're not putting it back in. You know? So... Well, I'm I, I'm all for it. I, I I see the people that are against it that say you know, especially we live in the Appalachian Trail corridor. Like, you know, we don't want to be hiking and worry about gunshots. Sunday's our day. I don't believe in that though because I get it. But all basically all the public ground in Pennsylvania has been pretty much paid for by hunters. Right, right. Yeah, so, so if you want to walk the trail on Sunday, you should have to buy a hunting license. Exactly. If you want to walk that trail, yeah, contribute the in. money we're contributing. Exactly. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah I, so here's the question I'll ask Jason: Like, like, do you have? <laughs> <laughs> and a Bud Light comes out. <laughs> I mean, so does hunting on public ground mean right. anything to you, or any more? Un- any less than hunting on private ground? It, it actually means more. Uh, yeah. Because, you know, you, you help contribute to the maintenance and preservation of that land for that purpose by buying hunting gear, by buying hunting licenses. Your taxes go and fees go towards that land. Uh, and it's more challenging. Uh, it gets more pressure. Yeah. Uh, and when you can have a successful hunt on public land, I think that says something about your knowledge and your efforts and yeah. the work you put into that to be successful. I think that goes a long way. Yeah. So do you do the majority of your hunting on private or public land? Public land. Really? That's awesome. Yeah. yeah. Clayton and I talk about that a lot, and I feel the exact same way. Like We both have access to private ground that we hunt a lot for deer and turkeys, but... Last year, uh, we both killed gobblers on uh, public ground. I used to hunt a lot of public ground for deer, and this year we hunted a little bit, but we're going to get back into a little bit more. But I just think it like gives you a greater sense. It's it's weird because I mean, even on private ground, nothing's given. Like you still got to put in all the work. But when you kill something on public ground, it's like 
anybody could have been out there doing that, but you did it. Yeah. You know what I mean? And the only private ground that I hunt is here in Franklin County when we're hunting geese, really, or mallards. Every really? other state that we hunt is... Well, no, that's not true, because when we go to South Dakota for pheasants, we do hunt some private, some private ground. Yeah. But we shoot a lot of pheasants on public ground, too. But right. all of our other duck hunting is all public. All of it. Really? That's Every all you hunt is public? That's awesome. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, that we were just talking about the public-private thing. You and I have been sort of, like, drawn back to the public thing just because, like, for whatever reason, social media, right, wrong, or indifferent, like, everybody says, well, if I had that farm, I would kill that buck. Or if I had that farm, I would kill that many ducks. Or if I had that, yeah, yeah, right. No, you wouldn't because you, you don't have the discipline or the work ethic to do it on any kind of ground, but... We both killed, I was telling Jason, we both killed gobblers on public ground last year. And it's like, it felt, it just feels different for some reason. Like, anybody in the world could have came in there and shot that turkey. Well, I think it goes back to what, like Jason said earlier, about the competition thing. Right. I mean, I've been a, you know, for a, for a large part of my life, I was a professional competitive athlete that, you know, that's what drove me. So, like naturally getting into hunting you know i want to be the best i can be and i think when you hunt on public land it's much hort you know i have a i have access to incredible private land but like to hear people say like you said uh if i'd have that land i'd kill that turkey you know it it, it gives me great pride right wrong or indifferent to go up on public land and shoot a turkey and say you could have done that. Yeah, I don't he was there your, for you. I don't want to hear your shit anymore because <laughs> yeah. I did it. Right. Yeah. I've got I've got access to private land. I killed one on public land. What's your excuse? Yeah. You know? Yeah. And Jason, we loaded my boat down with two hundred friggin' decoys. Yeah. People, dogs. Across, yeah. Know, waves. At the end of the got day, got up at two in the morning. At the end of the whatever. day, it comes down to like, are you willing to put it? Put it, obviously, people are going to get lucky, but if you are willing to put in the time, go out there, scout, find the animal. I mean, there's opportunities everywhere, you know. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah. um, I think this was a, I mean, incredible conversation. Obviously, it was centered around the meal that Jason prepared for us and, and his wife prepared for us. No, we had a very small part of it. <laughs> yeah, the team effort. We provided some ungulates. <laughs> <laughs> For the meal, but um, I mean, I just want to say thanks for having us. Yeah. You know, we're two strangers coming into your house. Thanks for the uh, scotch and thanks for the incredible meal you guys prepared. And yeah, you know, so just, Jason, you have a concluding. We just can't thank you enough. Kind of the same. Thank you guys for coming over. This was a lot of fun. Uh, it was nice talking hunting with some different folks. Like you said, we just met today, but yeah. it kind of feels like we've known each other forever because we have so much. I thought fun. that, yeah. As soon as yeah. I met you, I was like, I know this guy my whole life. Yeah. <laughs> Seth, you live a couple houses away. And I know, didn't, unbelievable. Didn't even, didn't even know, so we'll have to yeah. hang out a little bit more. I guess uh, Clayton come along too. Well, I mean, it depends if he gets a Traeger. <laughs> yeah, that's I mean, right. Yeah. Yeah. If I get a Traeger, yeah, I'll start we'll, hanging we'll, out. We'll put you on the group text. Don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, this is fun. A lot of good conversation. A lot of good points were raised. Um, and we just have to see how things go as far as the Sunday, Sunday hunting, things yeah. like that. Yeah. Um, I think it's I think it's just so important for, you know, people like all of us to just stick together. 
Yeah. You know? Yeah, exactly. It's not a competition. We're all in this together. We're right. tr- we're all working towards the same goal. Yeah, stick yeah. stick with everybody should be with the cause, not fighting against each other. Yeah, and, exactly. Uh, creates a bad perception. Yeah. If you do. So Well, appreciate it. Um check out Pulley Whistle. Pulley uh, Whistle Provisions. Yeah. Uh Jason's got some good things going there. I'm excited to see where that goes for you in the future. He'll, sm- um, he'll smoke your meat like no one else. <laughs> <laughs> heard that somewhere before. <laughs> um yeah clay anything no unbelievable night unbelievable podcast episode seven in the books okay folks we're coming to you semi-live Some once live. again from the fireside campfire area at the Rots residence overlooking a soon-to-be cornfield. Fred playing corn in that this year? Fred's putting corn in this year. Um, Beautiful evening out here in Pennsylvania. (sighs) Ten days away from the infamous turkey opener. I guess we are three days away from the Pennsylvania youth opener, mm-hmm. which is exciting. Yeah. If you have a youth to go with, kind of go get your toes in the water. Um, but before we get into hunting, I think we wanted to just touch on this past weekend. Yeah. And what happened. Just talk a little bit. What's up, guys? Uh, it's been, what, about a month and a half since... Uh, Sorry, we're here with Seth and, yeah. and Clayton. Yeah, <laughs> the usual cast. The cast of characters. Yeah. <laughs> I guess it can be characters with only two. Yeah, oh, yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's plural. It's plural. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, it's been a, what, about a month and a half since we've sat down and, and chatted. But um, yeah, before we were just talking a little bit before we started and just thinking about what's gone on since the last time we podcasted. But really, the only thing that I can think of right now this week that's going on, it was the, uh, the Masters this past weekend. Incredible. Yeah, so. Um, I'm sure we mentioned before Clayton um, is a recovering professional golfer, uh, was a college golfer, amazing golfer, so um, he certainly has has the uh, the bug or the itch or whatever you call it. It's in his blood. I'm somewhat of a, a golfer myself. Um, and we are just talking a little bit about, Clayton, you actually went down to the Masters. I was there Monday and Tuesday. Yeah, so why don't you just talk about that real quick? Um, for anybody that's going to listen to this podcast that's into golf, if you're not putting in for Masters tickets every year, you're, you're crazy. Yeah. Um, it's everything times 10 that it is on television. Sometimes you, like, go into stuff you see on TV and it's a letdown Yeah. when you get there. Augusta is, is the opposite of that. Yeah. Yeah, I think I asked you it's how it was. It's a step up yeah. from what I thought it was. I said, how was it? And you said... It's really nice. It's way nicer than I thought, and I thought it was going to be really nice. <laughs> so it, That's the only way I know how to describe yeah, it. Yeah, that doesn't happen that often where you go into something expecting it to be really nice, and it still blows your expectations. And it's nicer than you thought it was going to be. Yeah, but just just that whole tournament, and obviously Tiger Woods won. I mean, I wouldn't be playing golf if it wasn't for Tiger Woods. Um, he sort of opened up the game to the masses if you will and um i wouldn't know clayton if it wasn't for golf we have a mutual friend 
um, who I met Clayton through that I used to play a lot of golf with. We still play golf with, good friend of ours. Um, sort of got introduced to Clayton through him, and that's how Clayton and I got hooked up and started hunting together and became friends. So, I mean, the game of golf for me has opened up a lot of doors and a lot of opportunities, but just the tournament, the the, the struggles that Tiger went through and then to come back yeah. and just the story – I mean, it was it was pretty unbelievable, really. I gotta go. Out. I have to get this off my chest because right. there's a couple of people that text me every time the Tiger's in contention that hate Tiger. Yeah. Because for whatever reason, whether they don't care for how he acts on the golf course, um, you know, they judge him for how many Denny's waitresses he slept with <laughs> yeah. over the years. Yeah. Which yeah. that's a conversation for a different day. But I. Tiger's been my hero since 97 when I was nine. Yeah. And he's still my hero today. And I'm not saying that anything he did off the course was right between the women and, you know, taking too many painkillers and whatever. But right, I don't care about that. I care about Tiger between the first hole and the 18th hole. That's why I like him because exactly. he's just fun to watch. He makes the game better. I mean, there's people talking about him on every TV show podcast radio station that don't even watch golf it's unbelievable and if any other player won the masters they wouldn't even mention it no they they would have said oh some guy named patrick reed won the masters who's that so nba playoffs start today (laughs) you know and and so yeah nobody has ever changed the face of a sport um i mean yeah they talk about tiger moving the needle he is the needle man he is the needle uh, yeah, He's the reason those guys are playing for so much money right now. Exactly. So I didn't see what the ratings were for the Sunday broadcast, but I, I got to think it was up, I mean, just tremendously over last year, yeah. obviously. But So what do the guys say that text you that don't like Tiger? Uh, one guy said he's the black eye of the game of golf. Like they're rooting for him to hit it in they're the water. They're rooting against yeah. him. Um, you know, how can you root for this guy? And I just say back, how can you not? Yeah. And then I, I mean, get into the whole discussion, you know, about I always say he's the greatest because, you know, I mean, the older generation can say what they want about Jack Nicholas. No. No, that leaderboard he's on not Sunday, Tiger. I'm sorry. Well, not only that. He was playing against a bunch of alcoholics and club pros. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Tiger's playing against the best, yeah. you know, athletes in the world that play golf. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you look at those guys that had a chance to win. Had a little uh, tractor go by. We live in the country. So, yeah. um, but I mean, Dustin Johnson, Brooks Kepka, I mean, Ricky Fowler, I mean, all those guys, man. Um, Incredible. They're leader. athletes. They're not. They're not just golfers. They're yeah. not. You know. Anyway, yeah, we could go down a rabbit hole on that one. But I, I thought it was awesome. Just, I mean, you sort of root for Tiger the way he's come back and what he's come back from, whether it be the pill addiction or you know, he's had four. What four knee surgeries, three back surgeries, or yeah, vice versa? Insane. His body's—he's a, a robot. Yeah, exactly. So, just—I mean, I guess the the takeaway from that for me is just like, just don't give up on anything. The drive, like everybody said, he was done, and he just—he didn't give up. And so, not saying you're going to come back and win the Masters, but you can come back and achieve great things. He just kept working. Yeah. While people were talking, he was working. Exactly. exactly. Well, I think we can pivot off of that point and. How you said that we both we met each other through Kevin. Yep. I remember. I think I remember this correctly. It was a long time ago, probably in high school, um, that we met and you know started talking about hunting. That's kind of how we 
yeah. I guess, got to know each other. And um, I think it ended up being that you, we talked about going on a turkey hunt. Yep. And you and I, I think that was maybe our first hunt together, wasn't it? It was. That was, yeah. A successful one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was our first time we ever well, went hunting was, together. Right? Yeah, I think we maybe went fishing a time or two over Penn National in the pond, but we never went hunting that together. That was our first hunt. Yeah, and you were just back from LSU, like on spring oh, break so or I something. I was in college. Yeah, you were in college. Okay. But I think we had talked about trying to do that hunt for a couple of years before we actually, yeah. you know how that goes. Uh, yeah. Let's let's go hunting this spring, and then five years later, we yeah. still had Yeah, we should go hunting this spring. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Remember how we were talking about going hunting? So, yeah, so, um, yeah, that was the first time we ever went on, and uh, up at my camp, up at the, the ground that I'm a part of, and it was later in Turkey in Pennsylvania season. It was, I think, the third week. I remember how green it was. It was like, yeah, it was like the middle of summer. I want to say... I've got a weird memory for stuff like this, but it was like May 18th or May 20th or something like that. So it was towards the end. It was the second half of the Pennsylvania season, and we just had one of those hunts. So I was probably home for summer then. That's a good point. You yeah. probably were. Yeah, that's exactly what it was, I'll bet you. Yeah. Now that I'm thinking about Sorry. it, you're right. So, yeah, that makes sense. That's probably why I was late. Well, it's probably went late. Yeah, you, that's exactly what it was. That's yeah. exactly what it was. So we got out, and um, I mean, I, I've been tore up with turkey hunting for. I, I went on my first turkey hunt when I was 16 as a youth with a buddy of mine who we can talk about a little bit later. But um, I just got addicted to turkey hunting through that. And then um, Clayton and I went on this hunt, and it was probably still one of the best hunts. I mean, it was just. It's just like one of those hunts that every turkey hunter dreams of. The bird cooperated. He gobbled. He did everything you'd want him to do. And Clayton shot him in the face at about thirty yards. And I was having a heart attack. I never see. I could. I'll never forget the look on your face, man. When you when you turned around, like you could just tell you were like in a different world. <laughs> like the adrenaline that was going through your body, and you're just like. I what? legitimately. I was thinking through my head. I remember this. I was like, what, 20 years old, 18, 19. Yeah. I was like, I'm about to die of a heart attack at 20 <laughs> years old. I could feel my heart beating like in my neck. That was that was crazy <laughs> how that happened because we set up on this turkey. We heard this turkey gobble, I mean, four or 500 yards away probably because we were up on that ridge and then we came down and walked around to him, yeah. if you remember. But he answered us and I, from a long distance and... Um, we just kept checking and moving in on him, and finally, I think I left my gun, and uh, we crawled up to this last spot, and he was down over this bank on the edge of a field, and I had a good idea. I knew the lay of the land. I had a good idea where he was, and I was like, this is where we got to make our last stand right here. We're not going to be able to get closer to him, and um, so I did some soft calling to him and scratching the leaves a little bit, and he gobbled at the bottom of the hill, and then he, you know, he shut up. And Clayton's sitting there looking down over the hill and where the turkey last gobbled. And I'm sort of looking out the ridge or out the road past him. We were set up off this little four-wheeler path. And uh, he freaking, I see this white head coming up. And Clayton's wide open to the turkey. And I'm just like, don't move, don't move. And the turkey just hammered right there 40 yards right in our face looking for the hen. And I'm watching Clayton, and I'm like, oh, man, I just hope he's able to keep it together because I, I know what he's feeling right now. I'm just telling him, don't move, don't move, because he's looking for us. The turkey's looking for us, and he goes in the strut, and he puts I couldn't his, see any of this. He puts his fan out, 
and when he spun around to strut, his fan blocked his head, and I told Clayton, turn, 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 and Clayton swung around, and when the turkey turned back around out of strut, uh, Clayton shot him, but... Uh, man, it was. I had like the best view of that hunt. I'll never forget it. But that was sweet. Yeah. So that was. Yeah, man. We really. That was my. That was my introduction to turkey hunting. That was turkey hunting. Like, That's all right. This is sweet. Yeah, that was. As, <laughs> and that was as good as it gets right there. It doesn't get any better. They don't often go that way. Um, sometimes you get lucky. And so anyway, uh, we can probably talk a lot about what it went into that hunt to make that successful. But. Um, Anyway, I, I'm tore up with turkey hunting. We probably talked about it before. I, I would almost rather spring gobbler hunt than do any other kind of hunting. Outside of bow hunting the rut, um, nothing's even close for me. Bow hunting the rut for whitetails is, you know, it's like 1A and 1B for me. But um, other than that, I, I'm just, yeah, so I'm just rambling at this point. But. So we're 10 days out. <laughs> yeah. So um, I have been doing absolutely nothing. <laughs> to kill a turkey other than i have been running a lot of trail cameras and successfully i may add i've pretty much pinpointed right six or seven different gobblers on our the property we're gonna hunt yeah um time of day you know yep. i mean <laughs> that camera scouting has been su- as successful as anything yeah you know we talked about that even <laughs> with deer hunting man they're useful you gotta use them you can't I mean, they don't tell the whole story, but they at least give you that little snapshot in time of the where only, the turkeys are. There it is. Yeah. yeah. I, the only thing I can't tell is where they're roosting. Exactly, and maybe a hundred percent where they're coming into that little area from. But yeah, yeah. So I started scouting, actually going out and listening, probably about two weeks ago, which is later than what I usually do. But um, you know, just life and work and all that stuff. Um, so I've been going out the last few mornings. Last week I went out four mornings, I think, and listened. Uh, I went out. I didn't go this morning. I went yesterday morning. Um, I think Clay and I are going to go tomorrow morning. But the biggest thing, you know, a month leading up to the season, that's usually what I'm doing at least two, three mornings a week if I can, as, you know, your schedule permits, is just getting out there and listening for turkeys on the roost. Um, and that's where I'm putting a lot of my focus in. I'm practicing my calling every day. I'm at my home office. I'm sitting there with a mouth call in, or I'll, I'll have my friction calls laying there beside me, and I'll be running those. Um, so I work for my home office, which is kind of nice, and, and I'll hit those in between emails and phone calls. Um, so, so Yeah, so like we were talking before we got started here, do you, so you, I guess, how should I word this? Is the scouting that you do, a week before the season different than the scouting you do a month before the season like are you um are you moving in any closer to try and really pinpoint are you using locator calls are you uh, do you ever call to the birds while you're scouting because i know some people do yeah i don't usually and no it's gonna be i i might try to get a smidge closer to them so the first time a couple times i go out I'm going to be trying to just listen and cover as much ground as I can and just say, okay, there's a gobbler roosted in this general area. There's a gobbler roosted in this general area. And now this week, like tomorrow, we're going to go out, and I heard those birds last week. I think we'll probably check those out tomorrow and probably move in a little bit closer. And when I'm talking about a little bit closer, I'm still talking like 150 yards, 200 yards. 
Um, because I don't want to bump them. I don't want them to think anything else is going on besides they're waking up and getting with the hens or doing whatever they're going to do to do that day. And I'll, I'll just try to pay attention to them. Hopefully they'll gobble a little bit on the ground. It's tough if they're roosted with hens. Sometimes they'll gobble on the roost and fly down and they don't say a whole lot more. At least, you know, because I'm doing this before work, so I'm leaving the woods by 6.30, 7 o'clock. I just want to see where they're at, listen to them fly down, see if they gobble, which direction they want. And this is where it really pays off your scouting in, in January, February, and March and just knowing the lay of the land. Yeah. So when a turkey roosts in that area, you know what that land looks like already from your head, and you think, oh, man, I know there's a big thicket on this side, or there's a, a creek there, or there's, you know, green briars. Or, yeah, around. there's a strut zone. Yeah. I know how to get in there. And I know basically probably where that turkey's going to want to go, and that's that's what you want to focus on, just learning the lay of the land, where the, you know, the hollows are, um, where those little knobs are, where the open areas are, where he might want to go strut. Um, so then when you find a turkey rooster in there, you think, oh, okay, that makes sense. I'll bet she's going up on that bank, pitching up into that tree there, flying down, and then from there he's going to work his way over to this area or whatever. So I, I'm not trying, and I, I mean, usually I try not to even take any turkey calls with me when I'm, when I'm scouting because it's too tempting to want to call to them. Right. Um, so, I mean, if I'm out in a totally new area that I've never hunted before and I'm not hearing anything, I, I might get out a call and make some turkey sounds to see if I can elicit turkey a... Turkey sounds? You're yeah. Not, you're not ripping an owl or a crow or anything like that? Um, I'm not personally. Um, there's nothing wrong with that. Or a I, car horn. <laughs> I'm not doing that. I'm not, I mean, an hour of crow is great. An hour, especially right before, you know, gobble time in the early, even when it's still a little bit dark out, you can hit that and get them to go. I mean, they'll gobble out at any time of the day, but I mean, that's fine, fine thing to do. I, I just prefer, um, for me, like I said, if I'm in a new area, I, I'll use, I'll use a turkey call. Um, I'll do some cutting or it depends on, you know, what time of day it is. I'll try to just get them to gobble at a turkey call. So every now and then I'll, I might pull out a crow call, but I just just never got into doing it that way. So nothing wrong with it. A lot of guys locate them that way. But probably just because I'm more proficient with a turkey call than I am an owl or a, a crow call is one thing. Dude, I wasn't overly fired up for turkey season. I mean, <laughs> yeah. I kind of was getting there, but I'm getting real fired up talking about this right now. <laughs> I'm, like, replaying all the hunts Yeah. in my mind. Like, oh, man, I can't wait to be standing out there in the pitch black, just waiting, waiting, waiting. <laughs> and then it just goes from zero to a hundred as soon as you hear that first call like all right let's go yeah you know yeah that's you gotta make although it. in pennsylvania you're not supposed to be moving around yeah yeah especially you that, know, without orange on or anything like that so definitely te technically if you're moving make sure you have orange on when you're running and gunning yeah which or stay put you know <laughs> I guess we can talk about that. I know I didn't even think about that. Yeah, um, I think we can talk about that because I, I like to have a little bit of a regulation discussion in every podcast. We have to talk about that in a way because that was something I was going to get into as we talk more strategy and sort of maybe give away some of the trade secrets that you know you can only learn from doing this for fifteen years. Yeah. So if anybody out in the 
podcast world hunts where me and Seth do, you can tune out right now. Yeah, yeah. In Pennsylvania, by law, it's illegal to stock turkey sounds. So, and that's, I mean, I can understand the rule. They just want to prevent people from hearing a guy calling, sneaking up on it, right. thinking it's a turkey and shooting it. But, I mean, it's it's almost like a double, I mean, if the first rule is always identify your target, you shouldn't have to worry about that. But, right. I mean, accidents happen every year. And turkey hunting is very, it can be one of the more dangerous, not to discourage anybody from going. Oh, yeah. But it can be one of the more dangerous sports to partake in just it's exciting a lot of things happen there's a lot of stuff you are duplicating the sound of a wild turkey um i mean we both have the same distant family member that got shot yeah i i've i know two people that's actually been shot spring turkey yeah it happens for sure yeah it does it happens every year but i mean i guess that's just you, you gotta identify your target i mean that's rule number one i mean always treat a gun like it's loaded and then you know Never point something you don't want to shoot and and always identify your target. Those three things are like the fundamentals for any anybody I'm going hunting with better have those things down or we're not going hunting. No doubt. Yeah. Um, so, so yeah, I, I never I didn't think about that, but it's it's pretty difficult to hunt and kill turkeys. Well, you can hunt turkeys. It's hard to kill turkeys regular regularly without moving in on them. You're going to have to move on that turkey. So whether you consider that stalking or not, I don't. I wouldn't, by my definition, really call it stalking. I'm just getting in a position to where I think I can kill that turkey. Right. I'm not really stalking after his sound. I might be moving around him, but you're going to have to move on that turkey. And so, I think the definition's probably a little bit vague by design there. Right. So, yeah, I think so. It leaves a little bit of a leeway. Yeah, exactly. So it does. Yeah, I mean that's the big thing with. Um, I mean, we can talk about reaping or fanning turkeys, which is... I don't know that much about it. You're more than welcome to touch on it. I mean, yeah. I've seen it on videos, you know. Yeah. The guy's got, um, they spot a turkey, and he has either a fan attached to him or his gun or his bow, and he just basically moves toward the bird yeah. looking like a strutting gobbler. Yeah. But that's also a good way for a guy who's especially on public land or yeah. something like that who's hunting a gobbler to see a fan and and just shoot right. in the direction of the fan and end right. up shooting a person yeah I, i'm not gonna turn this into sitting here telling people how to hunt i'm not a fan of that i'll never do that i mean i shouldn't say never if the right opportunity i would never do it on public ground i'll say that right and i would be very very hesitant to do, to do it on private ground and plus i just i mean i think it'd be neat to do in a way but um it just, I don't know, part of the turkey hunt for me is the, the calling and that kind of stuff. So Right, the back and forth. Yeah, exactly. So it's not for me. Um, in Pennsylvania, it's technically illegal because I would certainly think that would be stalking a turkey at that point. I'd say that's probably... Yeah, you're, you're going to have a tough time <laughs> explaining that one to the game more if you get caught. So um, Yeah, probably but so. But if you are doing that, just, man, be careful. It's it can be It can be pretty dangerous, especially like... In states like West Virginia, I don't know if you you can use a rifle in spring gobbler season. Really? So I could, yeah. So I could see a guy, you know, 200 yards away looking in a field, and here's this guy with a fan in front of his face. and Bell, I mean, Belly crawling. Belly crawling. Yeah. And so, it, like I said, it's not for me. I'm not going to – if it's legal where you're hunting at, you know, go for it, have at it. I'm not going to sit here and tell you what to do, but 
it, it's not for me. I, I'm not into it. But they call it fanning or reaping or right. whatever you want to call it. Um, it. It's not for me. So anyway. Um, well, we talked about some tactics, and I'm sure we'll touch on some more. But yeah. um, obviously you are very closely associated with custom pro calls. Yep. Call yep. company. Yep. Um, you guys are making mostly slates. We make everything. Everything. I would, yeah, I mean, I would say we sell more slate calls just because that's what guys know about. Right. Mostly that are new to turkey hunting. Everybody knows. Oh, you need a slate call for a friction call or a pot call. I mean, you can call them a bunch of different things. But, um, but, but we make. Um, so we're talking about pot calls. Um, my buddy Jeff Graham started custom pro calls. Um, I mean, he's been building turkey calls under multiple different companies' names for the last 35, 40 years. But I think in 2005, he started up custom pro calls. So he's been at it under this brand for 15 years going on now, I guess. And um, But, I mean, he builds them out of any exotic wood that you want, any, any calling surface, so glass, aluminum, slate, um, copper, I mean, there's... Yeah, check this calls out, custom yeah. pro calls. They're pretty... Yeah. I mean, they're not only do they sound great, they're beautiful, the, the calls he's making. Yeah, there, there's a lot of guys out there making good calls, but, I mean, if you're getting into it, um, there's a lot of good um, people on Facebook pages you can check out. I mean, do yourself a favor and get a custom call. You're going to spend a little bit more money, but... A lot of these guys, I mean, all the calls that we build are hand-tuned one by one. We match the striker with the call. And, I mean, if you're not satisfied with it, you can send it back to us, and we'll give you your money back. So, um, I, I mean, that's one thing for people getting Shameless into it. Shameless plug. Yeah, I mean, and like I said, there's a lot of guys out there making good calls. Certainly, The one call I have sitting here besides is a buddy of ours that builds calls. So, I, I use a couple different guys, but, I mean, support the the small guys the custom guys i mean yeah you can go to a walmart or a big box store and get yourself a primos or you know a night and hail or a hs i mean they're all fine calls too but you know you're getting a mass-produced call and you have no idea what it's going to sound like when you get it out of the package so um but anyway 